And welcome back, boys and girls. Here we are again on a night like this. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a very different kind of show. Place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Live and direct right now, boys and girls. My guest this evening needs no introduction. The one and only Leo Zagami has returned. And on the second half of the program, we will be joined by Lee Austin. He is the author of the book, Morning Stars Tell. Please do remember, you too can get involved. Phone calls are always needed. That number is 760-332-8724. One more time, 760-332-8724. Let's get down to brass tacks and bring in Mr. Leo Zagami. How's it going, my friend? Very well, but uh, I have some problems in hearing you on this side for the last few minutes. Oh, that's not good. Not good at all. Can you hear me now, my friend? Yeah, yeah. Loud and clear. Okay, loud and clear. Perfect. Once again, thank you for being here tonight. I know it's very early where you are, so I really do appreciate that, my friend. No worries. It's a pleasure to be on the show for this Saturday night event. Amazing. And Leo, how are you? I care, by the way. Is everything currently smooth sailing for you out there? Well, not easy, but we're trying to survive. It's um, very difficult to win you or leave, uh, uh, I mean, a certainty of an ordinary life for something like uh, my mission, which is a little bit uh, more uh, of an intricate web of uh, lies and deceit at times uh, from a lot of people. And uh, here in Italy, you are, of course, uh, as I said, uh, right in enemy territory. So it's uh, very difficult to understand really uh, what, what you can do to fight the system when you are in uh, such a situation. The EU is becoming increasingly a uh, control um, group of states, uh, which doesn't really accept criticism. Uh, the censorship is growing uh, day by day. And at the same time, they try to uh, involve you in lawsuits and uh, ruin you in every way possible. So it's not easy. No, it's not easy. But uh, we're trying to survive. Understood. And happy belated birthday to you, Leo. Thank you so much. Oh, that was uh, yeah, five days ago. But uh, let's say that uh, it's uh, it's been uh, very good to reach 49 years of age uh, and uh, be able to say that uh, at the moment... Uh, published all over, books all over the world, and uh, the work I've been doing is finally being received uh, to a certain extent. Right. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's like uh, finally giving some results. Yes, and I can't believe you are that age. You look way younger, and I'm, gonna, I'm not just trying to say that to be nice. You really do look a lot younger. Thank you. Thank you for that, too. I mean, uh, I guess that uh, write me, writing keeps me younger. Uh, writing a book <laughs> keeps me younger, I guess. <laughs> good genetics. Good genetics. Thank you so much. And, of course, the last time you were here, we talked a little bit about your background, the early years of your inception. You told us about your history as a radio DJ, which I loved hearing about personally. That's pretty wild stuff there. 
Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's important to do everything, you know, uh, in life at the right time. I guess that I uh, was brought up in uh, in the Catholic world. Then I choose the media uh, and music as uh, something that I wanted to follow. And I was uh, also lucky enough to make a career out of it for a period of time. So, I mean, uh, that was uh, very well until I understood that, of course, uh, the music business being so compromised is not something that you want to do all your life. Um, because, as I said, it's been compromised. So, no doubt. It's. Uh, it's it's not a healthy environment altogether. But uh, aside from that, I had some very good, uh, very good periods of time in which I toured the world. I promoted uh, my uh, esoteric ideas from my music and so on. I mean, for a young age, it was a great thing to do. I guess that uh, then later on, I felt the restrictions of this cultural environment, which was very much under the control of the left, ah. and uh, the control of the mondialists and the control of people who obviously know the limits of mankind and uh, fill them up with uh, a lot of lies and illusions. So people in that environment uh, are not really always very um, clear with their ideas or... Uh, and they are easily manipulated. Uh, but at the same time, I must say that uh, being brought up in the media world, especially in the Catholic media world, was very important also for my other career, which was that of a journalist and later on of a writer. So it's, it's, it's always been very good that I had this uh, uh, direct experience with journalism since an early age at various levels on the radio with newspapers and so on uh, because it gave me a clear idea of how the, the media world works and also the world of communication as a whole you know it's uh, of course uh, also uh, things got different uh, I guess uh, in the last 20 years since the advent of the internet making possible of course also for people like me to bring out like i did in 2006 maybe some uncomfortable truths uh, through my blog uh, through my websites uh, that uh, demonstrated though already in 2006 2008 which was the first two years of my confessions online that uh, they can be uh, censored they, they, they there was immediately a threat uh, to me, to, to my family at the time, and um, I understood that uh, instead the, the books seem to be a little bit more stable there in that uh, sense that we can uh, um, we cannot easily censor a book as much as you can censor an internet page or a video on, on YouTube. I was, unfortunately, it's the last time we talked uh, last year, I was Many of my videos were purged from YouTube because, of course, they were part of uh, the purge that Infowars was subject to with Alex Jones. So I've uh, definitely lost a lot of material all over uh, the web because of that. And important material uh, that I think research and I hope that in the future they will be re-uploaded, but definitely there, there was a damage there being made by the system once again. But this... Uh, was for me not a new experience because, as I said, I already noticed right at the beginning of my internet exposure work in 2006 
in the first two years going to 2008 that there were threats being made to the servers, to the uh, to all the people around the websites that uh, were bringing and carrying my message. Mm. So this uh, was uh, not good. That uh, brought me to Japan in 2009 to start uh, writing in Japan a new project, uh, which was to write books, uh, which I developed, and then later on I did the same in Italy. In Italy, unfortunately, I'm having more difficulty than in other places because here we are really heavily censored, and I'm risking very much uh, over here. Definitely, yeah. So, so there is, um, it's, it's not been easy, neither for me, neither for my family, because we are really living under this constant threat. Yes, it's terrible. And of course, the last time you were here, you did take us through that hectic time in your life in the year 2008. And of course, I'm sorry to bring that up, but it, it was a very traumatic time for you. Well, yeah, sure. That that was a traumatic time. But as I said, I live in the now and right. I have to think of my family now, or my wife, of uh, the people surrounding me. And we are living, uh, again, a difficult situation because since then uh, I located myself in Italy thinking that uh, things could change. But unfortunately, here the situation is getting increasingly very dangerous. And, and so decisions have to be made on, on how we're going to continue here the situation. Though we are, you know, it was good to uncover further certain secrets to be here in Italy, right, you know, in the heart of the problem, the Vatican is right here. And of course, we are in Rome, where I'm talking to you now, um, living right at the center of Christianity. But uh, there is also a problem being the, the Italians that unfortunately are very loyal to the Vatican and to very deviant loyal. forms of Freemasonry that uh, are trying to bring me down. Um, and the, 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 it's, it's, it's this, it's this uh, increasing uh, censorship that, uh, you know, it's, it's aggressive the way that they, they try to silence you. Indeed. And before I forget, Leo, and I apologize to bring this up again, but since you were here the first time, I received lots of emails, lots of criticism from listeners out there. One of those issues had to do with you being a high-level Freemason. But, but uh, I, I never really hided it. Uh, of course in not. In any yeah. way, you know, I've been very honest about it also, uh, about all the various uh, um, changes that I've operated during the last uh, uh, 15 years since I came out with my information also on the internet, uh, what happened within the fraternities, within certain lodges uh, and obediences. And I tried to explain to the outside world that there were, there's been an internal struggle. I must say that this internal struggle has been also increasingly difficult because uh, the P2 Freemasons, the ones from the most uh, evil side of yes. the P2, the ones that I was trying to fight, seem to have uh, maybe uh, some of them have lost this fight and of course uh, during the last few years i've seen more and more people coming and you know also joining my lodges my work and but lately they seem to be also um, trying to fight me in various ways and there is even uh, one free uh, masonic obedience in calabria 
that uh, is trying to sue me. Uh, oh, no. And, they, and they're part of the P2, and they shouldn't be allowed to sue anybody because they're a bunch of criminals. But the problem is that the Italian authorities, the judiciary system here, supports them. They are corrupt. And so this is one of the problems which, which we're facing. So there's a lot of injustice. Too uh, much, they're yes. very powerful people, uh, especially here in, in, in Italy. And they say, you know, the P2 ended uh, many years ago. Well, of course, uh, like the Illuminati ended uh, soon after they were uh, formed. But uh, later on, they were reshaped in various other organizations and they just simply changed the name. The same happened with the P2. Then there was the P3, the P4. All these were actually documented by uh, events that were laid out in mainstream media in Italy. So people maybe abroad haven't heard very much about the P3 or the P4 uh, and, 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 and other developments of what was originally the P2 of Licia Gelli, who, uh, the late Licia Gelli, who died now uh, and, and, and is not, of course, with us anymore, but his legacy stands up until now. Uh, and some of uh, uh, his, uh, let's say, he died in 2015, December 2015. Some of his followers um, have uh, a more, uh, let's say, moderate approach, a more cultural approach, the ones that have followed this general Bartolomeo Savoyo. But in the end, there is a lot of deviant forms of Freemasonry that were behind the Licio Gelli. Uh, including uh, this, uh, this, uh, this one that I'm trying to fight in court that is very powerful and controls even the judiciary. So the, 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 this, uh, this, this, this uh, battle that I'm doing is far from over and it's uh, oh ongoing. Yeah. So I've uh, actually asked people to go on my GoFundMe. I've uh, set up a page for my legal expenses try to help me with my legal expenses. At the same time, I want to thank all the people that, of course, are buying my books, uh, that uh, are increasingly successful and give me also the opportunity to promote and to open the mind of many people. And uh, that's why I'm also organizing this uh, summer uh, book tour in the US that I am launching uh, soon. Uh, this uh, book tour in the US uh, uh, it's a unique moment for uh, people uh, in, in America to actually uh, encounter me directly uh, for conferences and meetings that I want to arrange during the months of June and July 2019. Perfect. Yeah, I, I did see you write that on, I believe it was on Facebook. You were... Yeah, well, mm -hmm. this is only just the first announcement. There will be a more detailed one where I will... Uh, basically uh, specify how to book your own Leo Zagami experience, so to say, no? in the form of speaking gigs, media, or other in-person appearances that can be arranged with my team. And of course, I will be also available for like-minded churches and ministry all over the U.S. who eventually want to have me talking with their, uh, with, with their uh, audience, with the people who follow them, with their faithful uh, however you want to call them. It's definitely not for the faint-hearted, faint as you know, the Zagani experience. So I don't know how many people have the courage to do that, but we are in a specific moment in history in which I think that uh, the eyes of many need to be open, 
and uh, I think that if people uh, have the will to do that uh, and, and, and not to be discouraged by the worldly events, they will, uh, thank you to uh, uh, my books and uh, what I'm trying to bring out, uh, as you know, for many years. It's not just uh, something I started the other day. I mean, this has been an ongoing struggle for so many years. So um, they can write... Uh, if, of course, no time wasters, because we don't like time wasters in our work, you know. Uh, but uh, um, if uh, you are interested, you can mail my team at uh, ordoilluminatorumuniversalis at gmail.com, which is Ordo uh, Illuminatorum Universalis, O-R-D-O-I-L-L-U-M-I-N-A-T-O-R-U-M, uh, uh, Universalis, U-N-I-V-E, R-S-A-L-I-S at gmail.com. Um, it's uh, an opportunity, and I hope that uh, people will make the most of it uh, as it's uh, only available for a limited amount of time, my presence in the U.S. this summer. Yeah, now I can hear you. Okay, now you can hear me. Perfect. I'm glad you can hear me now. Yeah, what's happened? I have no idea what just happened there. Mm, you want to start again? You want to... Oh, no, I, everyone could hear you perfectly. Mm. Yeah, everyone was hearing everything you were saying loud and clear, my friend. Yeah, but uh, on, on my side, I couldn't hear you, so it was a bit confusing. <laughs> Sorry for that. <laughs> no, no, but, it's uh, cool. Don't worry, it, it happens. There, sometimes uh, Skype has its faults, but everyone in the chat room could hear you loud and clear. Uh, okay. That's cool. Well, I, I wouldn't be talking, with, I like to be talking with myself. So, <laughs> uh, I know, right? It, it always makes me... Um, it always makes me feel a little crazy when I'm just talking by myself about different things. And it always makes me wonder how on earth can anyone actually just be talking alone the entire time? Because there's different shows where people do that and it makes me feel insane, like Bill Burr. But yes, Leo, we were able to hear you loud and clear and everyone is excited for your trip to America. I myself would love to see you out here in California. Do you think that is a possibility that you will actually be in California for a conference? Well, I mean, my publishing company, which I published most of my books in the U.S. with this in San Francisco, at least was based there. Um, unfortunately, I think recently has moved down to, I think, it has moved either to Arizona, I think, or to Nevada, I'm not sure. But the, the problem basically is to find like-minded individuals who are willing to carry the burden to at least facilitate part of the organization of these events, in the sense that I will be spreading the word in the next few weeks with a series of advertisements that I will carry out on my social media and on the various platforms I have, a website and so on, in which I will, uh, let's say, dictate the guidelines of what uh, would be required just to uh, uh, organize this kind of event. Um, as I said, we need, first of all, like-minded individuals, and I'm not really doing it uh, for the money, but at least I have to recover the expenses of traveling across the U.S. because I'm already, uh, of course, uh, getting to the U.S., and uh, at the moment, uh, being uh, in this uh, situation in which I am submerged with legal bills and so on, is not been easy. So then the next step is to arrange with uh, 
people that uh, have you know at least the knowledge of my books who are um, willing to promote uh, or to want to hear what I have to say about the various topics that I propose and of course they are very controversial topics so um, we will see how well uh, you know this uh, whole project will <laughs> will then be implemented or not. It depends really on the will of the people. I oh. think it's a critical time in history. I think it's a turning point in history we are about to witness, especially in 2020. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's an opportunity. What what do you think on your side, uh, Michael? Oh yes, we definitely are at a tipping point in history. So many different things are going down. All kinds of information is coming out now. And I was going to talk to you about the Vatican, but before I do, I just wanted to say another complaint that people were having, and I think you pretty much answered it basically here, were in terms of your intentions. And some people wanted to know what your personal agenda was. And I think you pretty much answered all of that as we had been conversating just now. Lots of people have been telling me things like, we really like him, but we don't trust him just yet. And this came from a few different people, and I personally trust you. I don't know you personally, Leo, but from our exchanges, I can say I don't feel you're at all disingenuous, quite the opposite, actually. And I'm not quite sure why some individuals felt the way they did. And I faced similar scrutiny myself for the artwork and logo of my show because of the all-seen eye. And I thought it was actually appropriate since I live in America, which is a Masonic Republic. And this shouldn't be a shocker to anyone. But you'd be surprised how some guests have actually questioned me and my motives. Some respected individuals claimed I was a CIA operative. And personally, I feel they've lost a ton of credibility in my eyes. I won't mention names, but there are a few out there who have made that sort of, um, sort of a, I guess, mistake. I mean, I've been accused many times of being this and that. Of That's course, uh, yeah. One of the reasons why. I um, I hope that uh, I will be well received in the U.S., especially because you have to understand that we are really being persecuted. We are, people yeah. like me, but also Alex Jones or other uh, people have been persecuted. Their videos have been purged from YouTube, and our work is being censored on the internet. And also here in Italy, my books has even have even been taken off the bookshelves. Uh, in bookshops and stuff. So, I mean, at least in the US, I'm not uh, witnessing that kind of censorship yet. And I still feel there is, uh, um, let's say, uh, more freedom and more opportunities for me to actually talk openly uh, that I have here in Europe, especially in Italy. I have uh, recently done a very nice conference uh, in the UK, in London, but the UK is becoming increasingly, increasingly censored and it's becoming more and more dangerous to discuss certain topics. Though I must say that within the EU, continental Europe, mm. the situation is yes. even worse because uh, um, I have done no conference, for example, here in Italy or no uh, talks or no book presentations for the last few months because the last one I did 
was invaded by left wingers who started to accuse me of this and that. There you go. Yeah. Criticizing me. And it didn't have really anything to do with the presentation of the book in question. So I hope that, you know, when I'm in the U.S., I don't start having, I don't know, Antifa or this kind of rabbish uh, turning up at my events because I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't think I you laugh their faces. <laughs> you know? I don't, I don't think you not... have to worry about that, though, Leo. I have to worry, of course, I have to worry. I have to hope that I will have like-minded individuals, like I said earlier, um, that are ready to defend the freedom of speech and the truths that I want to carry with me across the U.S. It's not going to be an easy battle. We are going right. towards the 2020 elections. Um, people, of course, know that I am quite uh, openly an advocate of uh, conservatism compared to uh, people who uh, criticize the New World Order in all its aspects. I have a favored, uh, let's say, uh, a support of Trump for the last few years because I think that at least he's doing something. I'm not saying he's the solution to all our problems, but uh, um, there has been um, in the truth movement uh, in the in the past criticism towards this kind of approach because they say at that point you're siding with somebody within the new world order where right. the thing is that people like me or Alex Jones or others are trying to really change the society we are living. We're not just criticizing or uh, or acting as conspiracy theories. Right, we want right. to be involved in the social. Uh, I myself got involved here in Italy after the publications of my books, and that is one of the reasons why now I'm in deep trouble here, <laughs> because I got involved in politics, I got yeah. involved in uh, uh, the Pitchforks Revolution, which inspired the Yellow Vest Revolution, um, and I did a lot more. I was, uh, of course, uh, with Berlusconi running for, for, for parliament in 2013. And, and I did, uh, as I said, later on other things. In, in the end, all this meant that people saw that I wasn't just somebody who was criticizing the system and uh, making books to, uh, to just make an easy buck. No, I've been no involved. Doubt in things that actually cost me a lot, both personally and also, of course, uh, economically, but uh, things that have uh, ended up with uh, uh, police standing at my door and more than once and having some serious problems. And, and, and nowadays I still think that I am under pressure. As I said, here in Italy, there is a growing, uh, growing pressure because we are only number 47 in the in the list of freedom of speech for the press in the world. Imagine, Italy is number 47. Like, that's crazy. Like third world country. Yeah, that's some crazy stuff there, Leo. And I just, wanted yeah. to, I just wanted to quickly say, Leo, that you shouldn't have any trouble getting booked anywhere here in America for different conferences because you are actually quite popular. Yeah, no, I mean, and I want to make these conferences affordable, like I did in London. People were astonished that in London I was only charging 20 uh, pounds for the entrance of one of my events with all these uh, other guests also with me discussing my book, The Invisible Master, and then... Uh, 
uh, I was like uh, surprised to say to them, and you know, I think it's normal that it has to be made the most easy possible for everybody to join this kind of events. That's why, because we're not doing it uh, just to make a buck, but to bring together people that uh, eventually can uh, um, change things for their community, for uh, for the people around them have a deeper understanding. Um, regarding myself, I have now, of course, all these books also that I want to promote, uh, and they have a lot of content that I wasn't able to really put through um, with the internet, because the internet is uh, very good with immediate uh, communication. Powerful. Meaning it's I, very I can powerful. be here communicating with you now through a podcast, or I can be in front of a camera, or I can write maybe a one-page blog. But when it comes down to 500-page study into a topic, like, for example, in my latest book, Exorcism, or the AI, or the robotics, and so on, and Satanism, well, these are topics that you can't really... Wish wash with one page on the internet. It needs a much deeper uh, study, understanding, so that uh, you can be taken seriously also from the academic world, from the religious world. Um, I've had a very good satisfaction, I mean, very good uh, results lately from my latest book. No that, doubt. Uh, um, we will be discussing yes. also today with you, we'll which take is it. Uh, yeah. entitled Age of Cyber Satan, Artificial Intelligence and Robotics, which is Confessions on Illuminati, Volume 6.66. Well, this book has reached number one in eschatology, uh, demonology and Satanism, occultism. I mean, it's been a book in the last few weeks since it's been um, published. Uh, has had some very good uh, results, but it's also a book that discusses some very profound, uh, scary subjects, probably the scariest of my whole series of books, if, you know, if we have to <laughs> depict it in some way, and uh, we can say that, that that is the way this book is. I mean, uh, just the title of the chapters will give you an idea. I mean, <laughs> right. prefers the Catholic Church these days, or we are the people of the apocalypse. It's not really the kind of title you give to... <laughs> you know, right, but I wanted mm -hmm. to go deep also in in in, in explaining things, not only for uh, well, of course, for the mass, for the people around the world, that they could finally understand the secrets of certain things, like exorcism, which is so important also for the Illuminati as well as for the clergy of all yes. the various Christian I and wanna... Christian denominations, or even. Muslims uh, do exorcism of Jews. Yes, we'll definitely get into that in a moment. And you mentioned Alex Jones. You have been appearing on Infowars quite often now, which I think is fantastic. I'm glad he well, has. Well, I, I mean, uh, I've been uh, I've been working really with Alex since 2015 when right. um, he came to Rome. Uh, especially so we could start a collaboration, which has been ongoing ever since. And uh, I've then been kind of nominated uh, the Vaticanist, the special expert on the Vatican for InfoWars, which is something that I take very seriously. I mean, at the latest summit in Rome, uh, I was there with uh, Michael Boris for Church Militant. There was the journalist from LifeSite and all the other 
various alternative media. And of course, I was representing Infowars, and I'm very proud of the fact that with Infowars, we were able to break information that all these other uh, people uh, didn't really want to touch before yeah, us. That's true. Um, you know, he's taking his criticism both from the media and those in, I guess you could say, the conspiracy type um, community, if there is one. But I'm always amazed at how polarizing that show has become here in America. Lots of people very, very angry about different things that are discussed on the show. And you've noticed, well, you didn't notice, we have all witnessed. I mean, I, I can tell you my own mm-hmm. personal experience, you know. I mean, I've uh, known Alex now for a few years. We didn't really start really working together until we actually met up in person because we had to clarify certain things face-to-face, wow. which we did okay. immediately. And I must say, Alex was really a splendid person. Uh, he, the first thing he said when we, we met up, I remember the first time was like, I want to apologize for this and that. I was like, Alex, don't even mention it. It's, <laughs> it's rubbish. I mean, that goes through the internet. Who cares? Sure. You know? And, yeah. and, 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 and arguments that were done, you know, maybe in 2006, seven or eight or whatever. Uh, I must say one thing that, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I respect Alex. I was a newcomer at the time uh, in this scene um, because he had been there at least 10 years before me. Um, so when I started, uh, I was coming from a different environment, as you know, I was an insider. I was coming from within this right. world of this uh, and it took me some time to really realize who I could trust on the internet because I was also very naive. Um, I was, uh, uh, people say, how can Lizanne be naive? He comes from, you know, dark, uh, hidden, secret societies with uh, all kinds of manipulative agendas. And uh, yeah, I know that. But the problem is that I was used to an environment which was very traditional. I was a person who, used and still uses the internet, not like the majority of people. I don't have, for example, apps installed on my phone, which I still use only as a phone. I go on Facebook only when I'm on my computer. I tend to not uh, have these apps ever permanently on my phone. Maybe occasionally if I have to do a video on Facebook, I upload it for a few minutes, then I just take it off. Because I find them very invasive, and of oh, course, yeah. you know problems that that are uh, described also in my latest book. When it comes down to the use of smartphones connected to the AI and and and, sa- and Satan, basically, and yes. cyber Satan. Uh, but apart from that, I'm a bit traditional. I'm a guy who prefers the book, uh, prefers the vinyl instead than digital music. I like uh, my things in a very traditional way. I'm a bit old school, let's say. I like so, that, And I like though. to keep, keep it that way, especially because uh, uh, this approach, this more analogic approach, uh, makes it possible for me to go much deeper into things. Uh, right. You're, you're doing it right, though, Leo. Be... Sorry? Oh, I was just saying, you're doing it right, though, Leo, uh, keeping the activity on your cell phone at a minimum. Yeah, no, I'm try- as I said, I, I, I keep this kind of activity at a minimum uh, because I know that, for example, in the 90s or 80s, when I was one of the first people to use cell phones, I probably damaged my brain enough back in those days. Um, 
I don't need to continue damaging it, first of all. <laughs> right. Second of all, I don't really like the developments of the smartphone era because uh, I've, uh, I, I am somebody who wants to have his time on things. And so I think if you sit down and say, okay, I want to have 10 minutes on Facebook, that's it. And you limit yourself either to the social media exposure, but also to electromagnetic exposure and, and all the rest. But then I, I also give myself a certain amount of time because then I know that I will take this time from maybe writing uh, my books or writing my articles, doing important things. So uh, this this kind of discipline, self-discipline is very important for me. Anyway, no um, this is the way I am. And, and people, uh, maybe because they have seen me for so many years on the internet, they think I'm some kind of internet nerd, uh, you know, with uh, always there on on all these devices and and so on well, well i'm not i've actually went in 2006 into this exposure work very naive about it thought i could trust people that were contacting me oh no you, it's hard yeah. to trust anyone on, on online especially yeah no but you have to understand where we were here we were in 2006 we were not in 2009 early days yes okay. I started uh, working, uh, of course, uh, uh, on this blog and in this necessity of communicating these secrets because between 2003 and 2006, there had been certain events in my personal life, within the Illuminati, within the Masonic Lodges I was involved in, yeah. that brought me to the conclusion of finally coming out and giving you this perspective of an insider. Yeah, I really now, appreciate it that you have gone forward with all this information. It's definitely not easy, especially in this time and age where everything you do is scrutinized. Well, it's scrutinized, of course, it's scrutinized. And and as I said, when in, I remember, I started to, it took me three years to put together the project of starting in October 2006, what became Illuminati Confessions, Okay. And I remember my first blog was on Squarespace. And after less than two months, I think, from when I started, the, the, the owner of Squarespace, imagine at that time, it would be like Mark Zuckerberg intervening directly on a Facebook account with, a, with an announcement. <laughs> yes. Well, but at that time, the owner of Squarespace intervened directly, saying that I had violated certain amount of rules that he had put forward on his platform and he was basically deplatforming me and oh, that no. was i think i still remember it was around the 5th of maybe november 2006 we are in 2019 and nothing has really changed nothing it really has internet censorship okay. that's true now I might be wrong if it was the 5th of November or the 5th of December. I'm trying to remember because it was such a long time ago. But one thing I remember was this, that uh, the moment he announced he would be deplatforming me, he, he wrote to me first in private, and I didn't accept what he was putting through because he wanted to censor my capacity of denouncing the enemy. And uh, when I refused, he, he basically gave me a deadline that he would be taking me off the platform within 24 hours. That was enough for me between the, 
my communication in private with the, the boss of Squarespace to the actual deplatforming. We had enough time to uh, quickly download everything that was on that site and, and put it somewhere else. At oh, that wow. time, it was a guy called Daniele da Bosco who had contacted me and uh, became somebody who collaborated with me for a number of years and uh, who uh, became a Freemason and was also economic advisor, was involved with the Monte Carlo Lodge and so on. But at that time, what he offered was basically to give me a safe platform. While I was in Norway, he would be hosting my stuff instead in this platform, which was based in the Republic of San Marino, which is an independent republic, even if it's within the Italian um, how you say, confine. I mean, it's like the Vatican. It's a small state within Italy. Yeah, it goes deep. But it still has different rules because it's out of Italy. So it kind of, it's kind of convenient when you don't have you don't have this you don't want to have the scrutiny of the Italian government. So uh, we we managed to save some of the stuff. Eh? Of course, it was a little bit scrambled. It didn't really make sense some way because in this, in downloading it from the site quickly and then re-uploading it on another site, uh, some things were not perfect. I must say that we managed in some way to uh, still uh, keep things going, though, with these Illuminati confessions, which yeah. was, you know, an experiment really on my side because I never really um, worked much with the internet. And when you said that you trusted people, well, I mean, the truth movement was also a very more uh, a very different community from uh, from what we have now because now it's not about the truth movement now it's about really reality now it's about people fighting for their lives because they have seen that what we have forecasted back then what we have announced back then is true and so it's very different back then people were still completely living in the matrix and filled up by their illusion of life uh, that oh, everything was fine but it's much more difficult to really pierce the reality and say this is the truth not what you are used to and uh, and, and, and 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 this is really what you have been enslaved by well this uh, is is what i'm saying it's, it's a very different situation now in 2019 from what it was back then in 2006 some progress has been made by everybody in realizing uh, that what we were talking about was not simply a, a conspiracy theory. Um, Alex was first person to really admit that himself uh, in regards to the Vatican and the Jesuits. And he said it a million times on his own show. I thought he was, like, I mean, was a madman. But then I had to just, you know, <laughs> say otherwise. <laughs> came into place and, 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 you know, things that were forecasted or were uh, prophesized. Some people say prophesized, but it's not uh, the correct term because it's a forecast that I make um, knowing what we have in place. That's what I'm doing. I can't hear you. Sorry, I can't hear you. We have the same problems as before with the mic on your uh, what about now? Uh, well, now I can. Are you good there? Yes, now okay. I can hear you. Okay, I just adjusted something here on the computer. I think 
I think we're now we're good. Um, yeah, I was just curious what your first impressions were on Alex Jones when you very when the very very first time uh, you came across him. Definitely want to know what your initial reaction was. I mean, the first very very first time me and Alex came across was when I really actually stopped in my blog in 2006. Many people don't know that, and and it wasn't a good good impression of each other because at the time also I was. Uh, involved within a Muslim environment, which, of course, uh, Alex had some problems with. Um, but uh, later on, as I said, uh, many years later, uh, we, we, we became great friends. And uh, and we have been friends ever since because, I mean, we have not only mutual respect, but also we really support each other's work. And uh, we have been in this... Uh, you know, in this adventure together for so many years, even if maybe, you know, I was doing one thing, he was doing another, that I think people like me, him, David Icke, or others need to stick a little bit together, even if at times we differentiate with, you know, maybe our opinion on something. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right about that. But we have been, you know, responsible for the awakening of millions of people uh, and their minds, they have changed because of, of what we have communicated through the years. Oh, and, and we each do it in our own style, you know. As I said, uh, the, 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 the fact that now I can also thank people, for example, like David Icke, because, yeah, I mean, Icke. I don't necessarily think that his research theory is absolutely correct in the way he, he initially exposed it, or uh, his uh, anti-Zionism that at mm. times, unfortunately, these days gets, uh, gets confused with anti-Semitism. It gets very clouded indeed when we talk about that subject. No, but I mean, but I must thank David Hike first, first of all, before everybody, anybody else in the world, because it was David Hike that a couple of weeks after I started my first blog in uh, September, end of September, uh, beginning of October 2006, he was the first one, I remember, just a couple of weeks after, who published an article from my blog. And that really changed everything for me. Yeah. Because... I was, you know, coming from an insider perspective. I didn't know much about this whole conspiracy, truth movement, whatever. All this thing was for me completely new. I didn't know anything. I knew only one thing, that a brother Mason I had in London called Andrew Tarnaris, uh, who uh, is a, a, a neurosurgeon who was actually working back then. I haven't seen him for so many years. I don't know what he's doing now, but he was working back then on microchipping in the brain and stuff like that. He uh, was a member of the lodge uh, I used to be a member of back then, which was Kirby Lodge 2818. And he suggested me, Leo, maybe if, if, if you know, I've been experiencing your reality because he became also a member of of my order and uh, so he he became somebody working with me and he says listen i think that this kind of reality that you're experiencing you should just project it on this uh, on this conspiracy world uh, on these people who are searching for it at this moment because they will receive it better than others because what what was surrounding you is not normal. He himself, as a mason, he was freaked out about things that were happening in my order and around me. 
Interesting. So he said, listen, maybe it's time that you make these things, you know, make people acquainted with your world and, 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 and this might, uh, you know, help you also surviving this whole thing, especially when I had the sense that I could uh, be physically threatened in 2006. That's when it gave me like the, the push for going that extra mile in order to, um, to, to then establish my first blog and come out with my revelations because Yes, okay, I had occasionally done some journalist work. I had, of course, within the lodges or within the Masonic environment, written articles, written publications, minor publications, little things that you publish within these orders and fraternity and so on. But I had never been, you know, actively a journalist, if not, as I said, occasionally, even if I had very good uh, teachers, mentors uh, as journalists and so on, and it was a passion of mine, especially when I started with Catholic TV and radio in the 80s, and and then I went on as uh, uh, somebody who would transmit and, and have his own radio show. The golden uh, era of Leo Zagami. In the, I, was, I was just saying the golden era of Leo Zagami in the 80s. Well, yeah, the golden era went on. I, I started in 83, 1983 on Radio Valle della Niene, which was established by Monsignor Mario Pieracci now, who is uh, the founder of SAT 2000, which is the official TV of the Vatican these days of the Italian Episcopal Conference. And uh, I started with this environment. I, I was raised in this environment, so uh, I learned all the tricks of the, of the trade, let's say. Right. I had my own Sunday show which uh, was uh, called DJ Music that started officially in December. Uh, I think it was, if I could get it wrong here, eh? but I think it was December 1983 that I really took off officially before there was a period in which I was, of course, uh, um, doing other things in the radio and, and making myself acquainted. I started even... Uh, talking uh, like in, in radio shows for children and making little appearances uh, in, already when I was 10 years old. But in 1983, I had my first radio show, DJ Music, I carried it on for a couple of years and I was immediately noticed by a radio talent scout from a much bigger radio um, that was run by the Italian Socialist Party at the time, Bettino Craxi. That's wild stuff right there. And, uh, well, yeah, I ended up with a new program called Babylonia that soon became very popular in central Italy, and I managed, let's say, when I was already 16, imagine, 16. That's crazy. 16 and a half, and I had the radio show broadcasting three or four different radios already, and uh, I got my jingles made in the UK. <laughs> you had your sound so drops, nice. really professional. I had a guy called Bill Mitchell, I remember. He's a famous voiceover from the 80s. You can go and check out his deep voice was used in the trailer of films and so, and so on. It was like, well, really? <laughs> and he, he was, I think, American. He was coming to the England from time to time to do these sessions from voiceovers. And I would get jingles from him, from nice. all kinds of people. 
and then interviewing thanks to my family connections to my grandmother Felicity Masons uh, Felicity Mason who was known also as incoming and famous uh, writer but also somebody who knew people from the music business from uh, David Bowie to the Pet Shop Boys to Stint Peter Gabriel and she will uh, be revered by these people because she was the PR person for William Barrows so I had definitely a way of getting into the music scene, which was very privileged, and uh, but also into the journalist scene because I could interview these people. So I had a double, uh, you know, I had two two passions. One was for my interviews, my presenting, and uh, imagine at age 16 and a half, 17, while I was going to school, at the same time I would sleep at night in the radio, Radio Anna was called Radio Notizia Niene, and uh, this radio was based in Subiaco, and because it was a little bit 20 kilometers far from my house, I didn't have, a, of course, a car in Italy, you can sure. drive when you're 18. So I was sleeping in the radio, and in the morning, I would even broadcast the news at uh, age 17. <laughs> And, 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 and so I would be reading the news thing. And of course, I was trained uh, at the, since very early age to the radio. So I knew how to, you know, transmit uh, all kinds of, you know, different formats, uh, radio shows, but also the news with the director of the radio, who was himself a journalist and teach me, gave me the first journalist card so I could go, you know, press card. So I, I was actually had my first press card when I was not even 18, and I could go to festivals, interview people, and, and, and so on. So uh, that was my first experience with journalists, and then I, I met another journalist when I was uh, uh, 19, and at that point I had launched the rave scene, I had been in various radios in Italy, especially uh, in Rome, very important ones like Radio Centro Suono. I got my first radio show, important uh, radio, and then I was uh, broadcasting from time to time on national level with other radios, uh, like Radio DJ and so on. So I mean, I was all over the Italian scene, and this journalist contacted me called uh, uh, Dino D'Arcangelo. Dino, who unfortunately died uh, of cancer oh. uh, uh, at the end of the 90s, became a very good friend of mine. And he was a, an intellectual. He wasn't left-wing, but he was working for the, this left-wing publication, famous newspaper called La Repubblica. Uh, but he was not really, he, he was somebody really illuminated uh, in a way in his approach to journalism. He was really open to things. He really wanted to, to know the news, how it really was. And he knew it didn't really stop to the appearances of it, you know? Yes. So he, he teach me a lot and he became, you know, we became friends. He, like he followed you know, my music adventure because he was taking care of the music side of things and for this newspaper. But then... He invited me to the newspaper at times, and I would be sitting there. You know, nobody knew who I was, but then they knew I was just an artist who was giving a hand as a journalist to this guy. And I was actually being mentored to, to, to become a journalist and, 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 and I, I, I write it at, in, in, in the home of the enemy. <laughs> because the, uh, the, La Repubblica is actually uh, financed by the Benedetti, who works for a child. So 
in all my young age, I was actually many times in the home of the enemy. Oh, no. I collaborated with the enemy because that was that what I was. You know, when I actually came out of this whole thing in 2006, it was definitely a change. I was fed up with the whole world that I had been involved for many years. And Leo, was uh, that uh, gave me the possibility to learn a lot. Yes, and Leo, by the way, I'm curious how your career with doing the radio ended. What exactly was it that made you stop or just change, I guess, interest for you? No, I mean, as I said, the radio went very well. I followed parallel the radio. Then I went a bit more into the music thing from when I was... Uh, you see, at the same time, you have to understand, when I was 19, my passion for the radio and for music being so much that I actually abandoned school at one point. My father said, okay, he spoke with this general friend of his uh, from the Air Force and said, well... Leo, if you don't want to go to school anymore, I'm going to force you to go into the military and join the Air Force. That so, doesn't sound fun. Wasn't that great <laughs> at the beginning because, I mean, I was having great fun doing my, my own things, right, you know. Right. But, of course, the military understood my potential with communication. So I was, uh, uh, after a couple months training in VAM, which is this uh, special unit that you, it's really hard training because you are the ones in charge of defending the airplanes. And so you're working hand in hand also with the NATO forces, American uh, uh, army, uh, marines, and so on that uh, defend the, the airplanes that are, of course, also in Italian uh, uh, military uh, airports. No, you have also American planes. So it's it's it. BAM was a very complex training when it comes down to to military in the sense that you had to basically do the classical uh, uh, classical exercise uh, training with the police on with the machine guns of a certain kind, uh, bombs that you have to throw, this and that, and all kinds. So, I mean, it was the classical, but a little bit harsher and harder than normal 30 days training you usually yeah. have in Italian military. That's why it lasts 60. And then I was sent after, because of who I was, I was sent to the Ministry of Defense in Rome, and I was given uh, a position in this office for communications uh, inside the Air Force Ministry of Defense, which which meant I was dealing with a variety of things that had to do with communication, with um, also TVs, uh, TV shows where you were sending military in. Uh, to in those days, uh, a lot of military were sent into, um, for example, Italian TV shows that had a live audience because of the terrorist threats. Most of those TV shows, the live audience was 50% military, mm. even if they had plain clothes. That's interesting. And I was the one giving those seats to these militaries and so on. And plus, I had special, uh, one big good thing, I had the free entrance for the 1990 World Cup football, which made me a hero immediately. <laughs> and I could corrupt everybody possible and imaginable at that point uh, within the Ministry of Defense because I had tickets for going to the stadium for the World Cup. I mean, that made me very popular. And I learned well, of course, the art of, of corruption. 
<laughs> very That's with, funny. With that. But in any case, I was also um, I was also enrolled by a secret unit uh, uh, that was linked to both the Opus Dei and Italian intelligence that was doing some very shady business uh, right. connected also to the Calabrese mafia, the Andrangheta. And uh, those people there uh, were my first real kind of experience with the New World Order and with the more shady aspects of it. Uh, so it was a positive experience uh, in some ways, but for others it was a very negative one because I got finally to see the truth about certain things. Yeah. I didn't really like it. But uh, it was in front of me at that point. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the whole thing, the mafia, the, the, the drugs, the politics, the manipulation, the connections with uh, the, the, the P2, the, 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 the various lodges, the, the various, uh, the, 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 the Mossad in Rome, and all these kinds of things became yeah. part of my life. You got a taste of the real world there. Well, yeah, and I mean, as I said, uh, I was quite naive at that point because I came from an experience into cat from Catholic radio. I went into the, all these other radios. Of course, I went into the music business, but I wasn't really expecting this kind of crookery and this kind of criminality behind the military. Especially, you know, after enrolling, in, becoming part of the Air Force. And so it, it was uh, it was pretty shocking. But I guess it was necessary for me to understand the real world. And, I, and at the same time, as I said, I met my my friend, Dino, Dino D'Arcangelo. First, I met also another guy called Riccardo Luna, who then became the director of Wired magazine in Italy. And so with people like this, I learned the art of journalism. So I was at the same time an artist, I was a DJ, a record producer, I was a journalist, I was somebody who was heavily involved with the media, who liked doing radio shows, not only as a normal DJ who would just mix, but I would like also to communicate, to talk. Yeah. So I started to have my radio shows even in Germany, in Berlin. At the, in the early 90s, when I started working at Trezor in Berlin, I had a radio show on Kiss FM in Berlin. I then had radio shows in, uh, uh, in Iceland on the national radio. Radio. I had the radio. Sh- I even, I even did broadcast in London for the BBC. I ended up being the first person ever to broadcast, first Westerner to ever broadcast in Russia after the fall of the of the wall and after the whole thing in the middle of the 90s when I started to go in Russia in St. Petersburg. I was invited to um, describe the history of dance music to the Russian people. <laughs> that must have been fun. This, and this uh, made me start a collaboration with the Ministry of Culture in Russia that later on also realized that I was uh, deeply acquainted with esoteric matters and at that point uh, introduced me to the Russian elite also. So, I mean, I had uh, some very interesting experiences in my life. Oh, yeah. And you live the, um, the wild life, my friend. Me, though, to, uh, in 2003, 
uh, when I realized that the New World Order and the Illuminati and everything that was behind this satanic uh, network was not really what I wanted to have anything to do with anymore because there was child sacrifice involved, there was profound evil going on behind the, the scene that I couldn't be anymore associated with. So, yes, I was part of the problem myself, but at that point, I wanted to come out of it. It took me three years, between 2003, the moment I went to Egypt uh, in uh, October, November 2003, uh, when I was preparing uh, uh, this event for the anniversary, 100 years anniversary of Crowley's revelation of the Book of the Law, 1904-2004, which didn't happen, but brought me to Egypt to arrange for the Illuminati this, this whole thing, and, and then realizing that uh, these people, uh, my internal struggle started with them. It started with the OTO, with the Ordo Tempi Orientis. Then the Ordo Tempi Orientis managed to convince British Freemasons to turn against me the year after. And by 2005, I got involved in the first Masonic schism in English history with the, the RGLE, the Regular Genealogy of England. And so it became uh, an internal struggle between 2003 and 2006 that at one point I couldn't really carry the burden anymore on my yeah. own. So those associates of mine, like uh, I was saying, Andrew Ternaris, who suggested me to come in the open and make everything public on the internet because they were like-minded people that would follow me and that would maybe believe in what I was saying and give me the opportunity to, to survive all this. Well, it was a great to actually, in theory, put it together and do it, but then the results uh, were unpredictable and dangerous because soon after, the year after, in 2007, but even a month, two months later, uh, when uh, the, the Squarespace gave me that warning, the day after, I got visited in Oslo by two policemen and a representative of the PST, the intelligence, and also social worker, and they threatened me. So, I mean, they threatened to take my son to... It, it was just a threat. I it was, was a mess. Done. Sorry? I said it was a mess, in other words. It was a mess, but the interesting thing is that you can still find this mess somewhere in the internet, in the archives of Greg Zizmanski, uh, when uh, me and my ex-wife at the time uh, were interviewed immediately after the event occurred. Just to give you a clear idea that this is not a fantasy world, this is a real-life drama in which things happen. Sure. And... Uh, and at that time, I wasn't Leo Zagami now. I wasn't somebody who people knew worldwide, who published more than 20 books worldwide and was, you know, maybe a public person like now. Back then, I was just simply somebody who came out with a little blog, started to have a lot of visits, especially after David Icke posted a couple of my articles. And then Greg Zizmanski started to interview me. And with Greg Zizmanski, at that time, he was on the GCN network, which, you know, carries also Alex, no? Yes. And, and, and we had the space just prior to Alex's show, just like uh, Greg was broadcasting just on the show just before. And at that time, things were very different from how they're now. 
and Greg Zismanski was very big with the Arctic Beacon. And he had been a journalist in Rome for many years um, prior to meeting him uh, online. Uh, I was uh, acquainted f with him because of his journalism in Rome. Uh, then he became an alternative media source uh, fighting against the Vatican Jesuits. But he was uh, like, uh, you know, it was one side of the conspiracy movement because then the others didn't believe that that could be a possibility. That's Nobody really starts. thought, you know, the grand yeah. scheme of things that, you know, the Jesuits were working with, uh, with the rabbis, Zionists and all this and the Russia, that they, everything was interconnected. Interconnected, in the end, no? no doubt. And that, that's for but, a lot of people out there. They don't exactly know that these things are actually happening. No, but at that time, it was like the, the, the conspiracy movement, uh, that's how it was called. Very early on, yeah. Yeah, and then it was called the Truth Movement also because right. of the connection with 9-11. was a very small movement. And then it was compartmentalized uh, because then there was those who believe in one thing who will not talk with the ones who believe in the other thing, who will criticize the... And it was kind of like this whole thing, it was an infight that I felt was negative for this uh, whole movement if they want to really put through the truth to the people. Yeah, a lot of so these, like, oh, a lot of these mov movements, huh? Leo, a lot of these movements, they start off good with a good idea and then someone has to uh, muddy the waters. It, it always seems that way. Well, I mean, I felt that, uh, you know, at that time... There was a lot of criticism towards me because they felt I had some hidden agenda that I was working for one side and the other. And then at one point, you know, Project Camelot interviewed me when I was still in Norway. Uh, hell broke loose. I got then uh, later on arrested for espionage. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's when things, things went downhill for you. Sorry? I said that's when things went downhill for you. Well, they went downhill for, uh, in that moment, of course, because, you know, I was, uh, I basically started this, uh, this uh, whole thing in 2006. I went on until 2008, but because of the reception of it, uh, I wasn't really strong uh, in the way I could uh, fight eventually the enemy that will fight back, no? So I was, uh, like, heavily criticized on the internet by all these trolls who were launched yeah. by you know, the various enemies that I was attacking. Because, of course, if you attack the OTO back then, the OTO, you know, this was a very small community. You just needed to infiltrate one little forum here and there and start uh, uh, throwing uh, uh, lies uh, about me. And people will, don't, will not know the truth anymore. What is, you know, is, and then there will be people who will cite things I haven't even said and make articles stating I was talking about reptilians or the other guy was, would be talking about things that I never mentioned, like, like it was true. So in the end, in 2009, when I reached Japan for the first time, and I uh, met with Benjamin Fulford. Right, Benjamin. At, at the time, this whole thing seemed... Uh, uh, like, like there was a lot of disinformation out there, and it needed uh, some clear, clear uh, perspective. Maybe with the, with the publication of some books. Yeah, it's and funny you. Japan, it's funny you mentioned. It's funny you mentioned Benjamin because I was in contact with him. We are supposed to do a show in the near future. 
Well, I mean, at, at the time I did a couple of books with him until I realized he came to Italy. Uh, he, I brought him to Italy also. Uh, but then I realized that he works for the Chinese Freemasons, the the Hong, uh, which is basically part of the triad system and the whole thing. And I didn't really like the fact that he was mixing truth with lies all the time, trying uh -oh. to also accuse friends of mine of doing things which they never did, you know? So I was like, you know, I brought him to Italy. I introduced him to people from the P2 or other intelligence services and things that were connected to this whole new world order thing. And then he was not always clear about uh, what happened. And um, I think that uh, he needs to be a little bit more honest uh, about, uh, you know, the facts he's bringing forward. Because no at doubt. times he makes these grand statements about things that might happen in the near future and then nothing happens and people are like, they get, a bit disappointed. Yeah, they get pissed off. No? Yeah, they get pissed off if you do that. I mean, if you announce that there's going to be arrest all over the world, that this is going to happen, this is going to happen, people really, you know, believe it's going to happen. So once it doesn't happen, they're going to be upset. Oh, yeah. Now, I try to stick to the evidence and the facts that I have in front of me. Um, at times, of course, I had maybe people that fed me the wrong information. I immediately rectified when I knew that, uh, if that happened. But uh, it's, it's, it's very difficult that I actually f then filter this information to the people because, first of all, I try to really make sure that information is correct uh, because I want to be cre credible as a source. That's why my books uh, are so much built in detail and they have a lot of re reference and citations that have to be from credible sources. And everything in my books... Uh, uh, tends to be very academic. Uh, that's something that I also wanted to to make uh, to make clear that my perspective was a perspective built on evidence, on study of serious elements, and this was not possible 15 or 10 years ago when I was not yet known as a writer. No doubt. Because People will say, oh, Liu Zegami, yeah, great, I saw a video of him. Oh, wow, yeah, uh, interesting. But it's the, the whole thing stopped the interesting, you know. It's interesting, it's a curiosity, it's uh, this guy talking about these things. Of course, later on when these things then started to manifest, people started to take it a little bit more seriously. But the books... Well, the books, uh, the books is it's it's an it's another thing, you know. When in the first edition of Volume One in Italy, I wrote that the future Pope would be from South America, and Ratzinger was still Pope. Well, you know, people later on when 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 Pope Francis became Pope, called me and said, "Well, you you have actually wrote it on the book," or when a lot of other things happened that were. Uh, define all my books. Yes. Things and... that actually scared the government in Italy, that forced the government to implement censorship against me because I was forecasting also future revolution that came into place the year after in Italy and so on. I mean, it became political then, you know. You... So now, uh, since I started to publish in the English language, I am finally able in the last uh, uh, five years since I started publishing in the English language, to let the people know Liu Zagami in its entirety. 
That's why yes. I think uh, this U.S. book tour of summer 2019 is so important for me and for the people that are interested in knowing me better. Not from that, uh, you know, five minutes approach you can have uh, on YouTube, but uh, knowing my research, knowing my work, especially with all the books that I publish in the English language. Now I have five bo books published with CCCC Publishing from San Francisco, which are uh, uh, Pope Francis' The Last Pope Question Mark, the whole trilogy, Confessions of an Illuminati, Volume 1, 2, and 3. And then, of course, uh, the invisible, the, this new book, Invisible Master. And then we have the books I published also with my wife publishing company, Volume 5, The Decline uh, of, of, of the West and the Rise of Satanism. And then we have uh, this book, Volume 6.66, which goes into a variety of subjects which... Uh, I find very much relative and pertaining to yes. now. It's a great book, but by all, the way. All of these books, uh, I don't know if you ever read my books. I have. Oh, yes. I have the huh? no, oh, yeah, I've read them. Wh which ones are the ones that you have uh, I, I favored? Do, or I do. Some well, way yes. <laughs> opened maybe some some doors to, the, to the, of knowledge that you were not acquainted with. Well, volume one of the Confessions of Illuminati. I do have that one. I haven't I haven't gotten your latest book though, The Confessions of an Illuminati Volume 6.66. I, I definitely want to get that book, however, but I'm curious to know if it was difficult to get these books published. Leo. Oh, well, of, of course, of course, of course. Uh, you see, it took me many years to actually arrive to the point in which we got these books in the English language. Because it, it was, it's, it, it, the, 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 the American market especially, it was the most difficult uh, for me, the English-speaking market, that, of course, I started with the American market. Right, right. Uh, and, and with the deal I made with CCCC Publishing that came around in 2014. And how this deal came around is quite significant because I was actually leaving Italy at that time because, uh, as usual, I was fearing for my life after the Pitchforks revolution went wrong. I had been arrested, locked up, this and that and all the other. And I decided to leave for the U.S. for a few months. And I arrived in Los Angeles where uh, I uh, knew, uh, not uh, I never met him in person, but I knew at least uh, um, from an online contact, uh, the son of Oliver Stone, Sean Stone. Sean we Stone, met him, right. Uh, yeah, we, we met with Sean. We became good friends. Um, he invited me on his show. He gave me a hand uh, connecting with a lot of people in Hollywood that were interested in my work. And I, I was surprised to know that there were a lot of people who were interested in my work and knew about me in Hollywood. And I also was writing a book at that time, uh, about Hollywood and the Illuminati that came out later on in Italy. A book I still haven't brought out in, uh, in the English language, but I will eventually. You should. And I wanted to have some confirmations about, you know, all this talk about Illuminati in Hollywood. So I actually went into the whole thing and finally confirmed what, what were my worst fears, but uh, that, that's for another show. What, what I'm saying is that Sean Stone helped me out uh, with a lot of uh, meeting a lot of people, and we were interested in uh, translating my books, because at that point, my books had had a 
enormous success. In Japan, I already sold more than, uh, I think, around 100,000 copies of six. I have published six books selling 100,000 copies. That's a great result for, you know, somebody like me who is publishing uh, underground subjects. Yeah. Uh, That's pretty good. In the temple. So in Japan, I sold, uh, I made two books with Benjamin Food. Then I made three books with Princess Kaoru Nakamaru. I made two books on my own. Uh, published the confession uh, of Illuminati, the, the volume one in Japanese. And then I did those invisible masks in Japanese. And, I mean, and, and I collaborated uh, with uh, um, with somebody who is an actor uh, um, uh, who, who appeared uh, on uh, on Wolverine uh, this uh, Japanese uh, guy who was also my translator and we made a book together for Japanese market. but aside from that Japan was the first market that really received my work and made me publish books. That's why it really reminds me of that song of the 80s, Big in Japan, you know? Yes. I mean, you, 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 it's a little bit like in the music business. From my experience in the music business, in 1998, I was called in to sign a contract with a Japanese company that was based in Shibuya, and I published a record called... Um, the Roman Frankfurt, and it was it was well received with this Japanese company, and so I had this experience of Japanese being very open also to my music. I had whole sections of Leo Yang, that was my name in the music business, uh, in in the record shops in, Shib- in Shibuya back in those days. But uh, in Japan, I was encouraged. And I must say, I have to thank uh, at least Fulford for that. Uh, maybe he has, I don't like the fact he always refers to me as a Satanist, but uh, that that's his own thing because he always likes to make things dramatic. Of course, I, I, I am an ex-Satanist, but you can't always go on saying I'm a Satanist because I'm not. Yes, <laughs> Everybody. clearly. So, 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 so I have to thank the Fulford for having initiated me in, in, in the possibility of finally publishing my book. Yeah, he and did put I, you over. It, he did put you over in Japan. That's true. Yeah, you know, the, the, that really started my career as a writer because, I mean, I was uh, the son of a writer. My father was, of course, an excellent writer. Um, my grandfather was an excellent writer and historian, Leopoldo Zagami. As I said, my father, Elio Zagami, had written many books. My grandmother had written many books, Felicity Mason and Coming, The Love Habit, uh, Love Quest, two books that were actually bestsellers around the world. And then there was my grandma, great-grandmother Busilo, who was a poetess, uh, she wrote poetry. And then I, and I had many other people in my family. My, my English grandfather wrote a book, Memories of a Castrata, Henry Lyon Young. So I was surrounded by writers in my family. Oh, yeah. I never really wanted to become a writer because I was scared tell you the truth, to confront myself first of all with my father ah. because he's such a good writer and, 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 and but uh, you know, my, my idea was there for a long time well the writer, I, the writer is in you Leo the writer is in me and I come from a family of writers but that was also a reason why I started to write so late because I was really scared of comparing myself sure. with yeah. with other people in my family who I deemed as much better. Even if in the end, having said that, even if probably my grandmother made a couple of bestsellers, she definitely probably reached a wide audience because she was very popular. But mm-hmm. I must say, that in the end, I became the most successful writer of my family. And that is, nowadays, 
I'm uh, very happy of it because, you know, even my mother, we were like, when I was <laughs> saying the first time when I used to say I'm a rider, yeah. mm, you know, my mother wasn't like, you know, having so many riders in my family and uh -huh. all that, and all very pompous with all the publications and all that, I was a little bit deemed as, you know, the outcast. Sure. Nowadays, I can, you know, go proud and stand there. And even in my mother's house, she has all my Japanese books, all my Italian books, all my English lined up. And she's, and she's proud uh, yeah, so, of, of my work. So mom is on board. And that's good. Now, but at the beginning, beginning you know, I, I surprised my father, who died in February 2010, saw the publication of my first two books in Japan. And he was very surprised. He was like, wow. And he actually... Before he died, he gave me some advice. Uh -huh. Though some of it was good, some of it, uh, uh -huh. he was a little bit scared about the fact that I was going so aggressively against the Vatican. And so at that time, you have to understand, when I started my crusade against the Vatican, uh, nobody was talking about these things in the open. Sure. Like that. Now, now they're stuff of mainstream media. Every day you just put on the news or you go and read any newspaper in the world and they're talking about Vatican pedophile rings. And yes. Let, let's, let, let's talk about that right now because it's yeah, well, a very interesting when subject. I, when I started my revelations, my Illuminati confessions, of course, this, one of the central subjects was also my relationship with the Catholic Church. Because uh, as a Freemason, as somebody who had been uh, deep involved with the Catholic Church media and so on, I had been uh, acquainted with things that not many Catholics knew about. And uh, I knew about black masses in the Vatican, I knew about all kinds of things. But these things, or the fact that there was extensive uh, pedophilia, I still remember the first time on GCN Network, I, I announced the fact that, uh, in two, I think it was autumn 2006, when I stated, uh, for the, when I went there the first time, and I stated that there were pedophile rings in the Vatican run by certain cardinals, and I named one in particular, Cardinal Ruini, I think it was, and I made the joke, Cardinal Ruini who likes the bambini, because you say kids in Italy, bambini, so it was this kind of rhyme I was making. And people were shocked, shocked, but so shocked that, I mean, and, and when I announced that Cardinal Ratzinger had an affair with a younger man and he was gay, I mean, that ended up in the front line of one, I remember one of the most important conspiracy sites at that time, I don't remember now the, the, the name of it, I don't think it even exists probably anymore, but in any case, this, these things that I was saying were not received at all well by certain people. Oh, of course not. That's a shocker. But here's here's what's interesting. There was a man, I'm sure you're familiar with him, that's Father Malachi Martin, who many, many moons ago stated he would... You see, when I came out, Malachi Martin was dead. Yeah, he was dead by then, I'm sure. he had died just uh, in 1990, at the end of the 90s, 1999, Correct. I think, you know? So, so he had been dead for a few years... I think that Greg Zismanski was the ideal journalist for me to pick up on my story because he had been, you know, one of the few uh, who were talk uh, was talking about Malachi Martin back then, still talking about Malachi Martin, like, uh, and, 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 they, and but he he wasn't uh, as popular as as he is nowadays. Actually, he's still popular, and mm -hmm. yeah. 
Very popular. Right. And of course, he did say, for those that don't know, he stated he witnessed a satanic ritual at the Vatican. And at the time, many thought he was full of crap for making such a ludicrous claim. Now, in hindsight, we've come to realize he wasn't blowing smoke our, uh, up our uh, proverbial backside there. He most likely did see what he claimed to have seen at the Vatican. Well, yeah, and actually I cite him in a couple of, uh, I think, in, in a couple of um, lines in my uh, new book, volume 6.66, actually more than a couple of points of this book. I, I, I liked to, uh, to to cite a few times Malachi Martin because, yeah. I mean, his work needs to be cited right. as a, also a recognition of his uh, figure, you know, that was so heavily criticized by the Vatican after his uh, death, because uh, you see, uh, Father Malachi Martin, uh, Father Charles Fiore, and Father Alfred Kunz uh, um, became uh, in the 90s the people who were behind one of the first real investigations into pedophilia. Uh, together with a guy called William H. Kennedy, the late William H. Kennedy, who yep. died unfortunately in August 2013, mm -hmm. I must say always under mysterious circumstances, he was the author of Lucifer Lodge, Stunning Ritual Abusing the Catholic Church. They, they, these people had put together an investigative force on, on who had found really evidence on on so many wrongdoings by the Catholic Church, and of course they all died. They all died mysteriously. Huh? Mysteriously. Yeah, and and, and and they were they were investigating the charges of pedophilia within the Catholic Church. Yes, before the scandal broke out, like today. But that was dangerous back then. Oh yeah, that was dangerous. And I was in the same danger when I was bringing out this stuff. Only in 2006. I mean, it's not that long ago. But not long ago at people all. People don't understand that when you made this kind of assertions back then, you will make a lot of enemies. Hell yeah. And uh, and we were kicked out of the GCN network with this mask soon after. We were kicked out of there. We were kicked out of Republic Broadcasting Network soon after also. We, were, we, we kind of started to get ostracized. And then internal, uh, there were people uh, infiltrated also. Uh, let's say my own little movement that I was created. And they started to tell lies. Project Camera accused me of being a CIA agent when I arrived in the U.S. in 2008. Oh, Lord. Greg Zismanski then went against me, then retracted what he said against me, but he, he kind of went against me saying I was collaborating with the Jesuits. I had a guy called the Forerunner, uh, somebody that went on making videos when I was in the U.S., and then turned out to be somebody who wanted to defame me in some way, and they accused me of working for the Jesuits, which was far from the truth, because actually I want people to realize how evil the Jesuits were. So what's the point of doing that if I was working for the Jesuits? It would have no sense, this accusation. But people were really, uh, as I said, I was a bit naive to... Uh, to, 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 to really give credibility to a lot of people, especially at the beginning of my internet exposure. But yes. you have to understand that the situation was very different from how it is now. Completely different. And Leo, by the way, hold that thought. There is a call, and I think it's for you, Leo. Uh, caller, go ahead. Oh, let me unmute you there. I'm sorry about that. Can now, you hear me okay? Now I can hear you. Go ahead, caller. 
Oh, hello. What's yep. up, my friend? Go ahead. Hi, Michael. It's Brandon Young from uh, the chat there. For and, sure. Um, I just wanted to say big fan of Leo Zagami. And, you know, my last name is Young. And I've done a little genealogical research on my family. And um, as some people might know, some people might not know, the Young line goes back to Sir Francis Bryan of uh, King Henry VIII's court. I don't know how, where... Leo has uh, traced it, but I know he was known as Shepherd Young in, I think, the Monte Carlo Lodge. Um, well, yeah, because anyway, my father's uh, surname is Lion Young. Young is also, we are part of the Young family, so yes, it's correct. the same bloodline. So, <laughs> so we might so be we have some power related in a way, I guess. So I think what we need to do is get um, a double shot of espresso for uh, uh, Leo um, Adesso right now. activities that countries like Russia or other countries can have to influence 
uh, Italian politics. So basically, by doing this, the US is uh, leaving Europe in an increasing state of chaos, which will eventually erupt in, in, in a full-on blown war in the next few years. I mean, a civil war wow. will erupt all over Europe. That is not something I'm just making up, but it's just the natural consequences of things. If you don't invest money in stability, you have instability. So I criticized in, in, for many years the, the, the activities of the P2 because a lot of them yeah. I, didn't, I disliked. But one good, only good thing I, you know, that I agree with, uh, and I'm proud even of my own work within that environment, is being anti-communism. Because I fear that now people have underestimated communism, and because this is the prevalent ideology of the New World Order and the Illuminati, that they have created this ideology to destroy the monarchies of the world and to eventually implement this worldwide socialist communist nightmare, because that's their idea, to make us all members of a system which is very much reflected today in Chinese society, for example. Mm-hmm. And we know what kind of nightmare Chinese society is for those who, you know, Absolutely. don't free speech or anything. Oh, do we? <laughs> it's it's wrong, I mean, a lot of times Silicon Valley or the U.S. compromises with the Chinese because of interest we have, economic interest. But uh, let me tell you that they are very dangerous and that uh, what they're doing now, for example, with their latest alliance with the Catholic Church, mm. uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a scandal in itself. I mean, the Catholic Church yeah. has pushed aside their own bishops and has, uh, uh, last December, uh, got uh, in place uh, the bishops that were pri- uh, previously nominated by the Communist Party of China. I mean, mm-hmm. bishops nominated by a Communist Party, who should not even be yeah. bishops, how can you be a bishop nominated by which apostolic lineage accepts <laughs> Karl Marx as a Indeed, and and over the past past few years, Leo, uh, the Vatican has truly revealed itself for what it has truly become, another high-level group taking advantage of their own flock. Uh, You see, when I first started denouncing the Vatican as being uh, at the center of this new world order and, you know, the, the main manipulator... We were ostracized, I was criticized because everybody was fixated always with this whole thing about the Jews controlling the world. And I'm not saying that some Jewish families and and labor Zionists doesn't control part of the banking establishment. Of course they control it. The Rothschilds are part of the problem, but they're also in bed with the Vatican. And the fact is that uh, nowadays, for example, we see this confrontation in Israel where Netanyahu has been uh, accused of certain things, has been put under investigation because uh, he's under attack by by the left in his own country. And and, and we have to understand, Israel has been founded by labor Zionism and by communists. That's right. You know, that's the whole concept yeah. of, of of Israel and how it came together. Right. And, uh, and and so it's difficult to then, you know, understand uh, for, for us that there is, though, the innocence not only of the Jewish people, but of the majority of the people who went back to Israel because they didn't know about so the grand plan that was orchestrated behind them. Right. Uh, 
And so they are victims, I guess, of this situation. And, and to actually become now victims of anti-Semitism because the Illuminati and the West and the Vatican has pushed this Muslim immigration and this anti-Semitism on the Western world, well, I mean, the whole thing is just outrageous. And by, Colin, did, did you have another question, by the way? Yeah, I've, I've, I do. Go ahead. Um, so, so thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. Thank you. I really do. Uh, I've been dying. Uh, Leo, I'd love for you. I have my own show and my own channel. And I'd love to speak with you sometime um, because uh, I have been at the Opus Day. I was going to ask about Opus Day. Uh, my law professor is a, a mentor in some sense to the Catholic Church. He's a constitutional attorney for Opus Day, and he's under the order of Opus Day. He's in like what, what they call the prelature of Opus Day, which is like the 0.0001% of the Opus Day members. And they have a lot of access. They're pretty powerful. I was wondering how politically in Italy, Jose Escriva, who wrote and founded Opus Day, kind of rose to power really prominently. How do you view Opus Day, Leo, in the current climate uh, political situation? Very powerful, very powerful. For example, Cardinal Pell is part of, uh, of, of the Opus Dei project, and that's why he's not being defrocked, and that's why he's been given still a chance to continue defending himself, even if the guy should be locked up uh, forever and without any you know, possibility of parole, because he's such a criminal. I mean, uh, Cardinal Pell and, and, and a lot of other people that are uh, behind the Opus Dei have been involved, unfortunately, with things that uh, are not good. I would say well, that uh, Esquivar and this whole thing uh, came together because uh, the... Vatican needed uh, some form of Freemasonry within their mm. system. Uh, Licio Gelli called the Opus Dei a white uh, Freemasonry, meaning uh, a Christian Catholic form of Freemasonry, a way of putting together the business side of the Catholic world uh, under mm. a spiritual aspect that the Jesuits implemented in reality the Opus Dei. And right. even times uh, it seemed that the Jesuits were opposing the Opus Dei because they were on two different factions and the Opus Dei seemed much more conservative and so on. In the end, exactly. the Opus Dei only functioned as, uh, the, uh, as an organization that could gain control of a network of business-minded like people from the Catholic world. Mm -hmm. And that, that is the, the aim of it uh, altogether. It's, it's a new world order organization, of course. Is, yeah. uh, there is good people that, of course, fall into this trap of following or working for the Opus Day. I've met some mm -hmm. during my life. I also met people, for example, were Freemasons who were also Opus Day. That is a contradiction in terms. But in Absolutely, Italy, yeah. many yeah. people in Masonic lodges have also Opus Day. Uh, ID cards uh, or whatever the recognition is, uh, modality of recognition yeah. is. They, they are also Opus Dei. Uh, this was a saying uh, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago already, that there were people with their Opus Dei membership card in Masonic lodges increasingly in Italy. So there is no coherence in people that uh, 
do that because they are basically mm-hmm. lying. They are they, taking advantage of two words that shouldn't even be in contact with each other. No? Right. Uh, so yeah. so I, I find the Opus Dei not, I mean, spiritual only in the outside, but in reality just uh, uh, the Masonic uh, economic network of the Catholic Church is the Opus Dei. That's, That's right. what it is really. And the fact that these days uh, there is some people, I want to start, uh, you know, talking about certain, making names here, because I want to get in polemics with my fellow journalists or colleagues from the, the, the media and so on. But there is a lot of them that are not criticizing enough, for example, Cardinal Pell, because of this link to the office. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah. And just one more question. When you come out of the Termine from Leonardo da Vinci uh, train takes you right into Rome, when you come into the Termine, there's a park across the street from the Termine, and there is an alchemical building that's overrun by cats that apparently Alistair Crowley spent some time there or some magical working, or it's on some Latitude 33 line or something, some kind of interesting alchemical building in Roma. Um, I know there's the catacombs and the necropolis of the Vatican, and yeah, I can tell you exactly what it is, if you want. I mean, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm sure that you're talking about something that I have described in very much in detail in uh, uh, some of my latest books. Um, yeah. You're talking about the alchemical door, which is in Piazza Vittorio, I think. Yes, uh, that's it. Yeah. The chemical door uh, is something that I've talked about, as I said, in volume one uh, of my confessions, because I wanted to also describe it and link it to another figure called Berege Saunier, Berege Saunier, which was also behind the whole myth of the Pride of Zion, um, but at the same time uh, also linked to um, various elements of the Rosicrucian and Martinist tradition, uh, this uh, this alchemical door, uh, which was linked to the golden rose cross originally, and to a Jesuit called Athanasius Kircher. I've done mm-hmm. an extensive Pleasure. work yeah. of research on this alchemical door uh, for, uh, um, for a TV show I conducted for a time for Enigma TV of Chris Everett. So if you ever happen to have access to Enigma TV, uh, I've done uh, some some in-depth documentaries about it. In my latest book, uh, Invisible Master, I also dedicate some time to this invisible door, sorry, this alchemical door, because uh, it is uh, being important also in my own personal experience. I mean, uh, in the early 90s, when I was practicing the magic of Abramel in the Mage, I had my own experience with the alchemical door of Piazza Vittorio, and uh, and so I I depicted this, uh, this experience in my book, Invisible Master. Um, so I think that you, uh, should, you should definitely check this book because the magic door of Piazza Vittorio is, uh, is something very particular and it was connected to uh, Queen Christina who was coming from Sweden and was converted to Catholicism who became this, for, this sort of patron of the alchemical, of the magical arts in, in, in Rome. And uh, the, the interesting thing about this alchemical door is that uh, behind its creation, there is not only Athanasius Kircher, 
fatto di Marchio Palombara, this, uh, this, uh, this particular figure that uh, was very dedicated to, uh, to alchemy, and, uh, and also uh, il Bernini, so the, right. the, the, there is yeah. also this uh, connection with uh, one of the biggest, uh, let's say, artists that uh, we, we ever had, no? Wow, we, we all yeah, know the, the, the farm, no? Sorry, can't hear you very well. Oh, Bernini, I was just saying Bernini, he, 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 he did a lot of the architecture in Rome, He's basically yeah. a public, and, uh, public architect and uh, one of the most beautiful um, and brilliant designers of all time, Bernini. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, John Lorenzo Bernini is also a key figure in, in, in the Dan Brown's uh, Angels and Demons, no? And, uh, yeah. and, and uh, we have him because of the fact that he's the creator of that fountain, beautiful fountains also in, in, in Rome, in Piazza Navona, for example. No? And uh, he definitely said the right thing. Uh, also, the, but not, not many people knew that there was a connection between Athanasius Kircher and Bernini. And Athanasius Kircher is one of the most influential Jesuits of all time because right. Adonis Kik is the first Jesuit who goes deep into the study of uh, Egyptian magic, Egyptian um, uh, religion, and so on, even before, yeah. much before the discovery of the Rosetta Stone and the possibility of translating uh, correctly. Wow, that's uh, true. Egypt, yeah. uh, I mean, the mysteries of Egyptology, of course. So, so the, the, the portal came. In, in, in what used to be a villa, which was uh, the, 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 the villa of this Marquis of Palombara, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's shadowy mystery also because Athanasius Kircher, Bernini, and uh, this, uh, and this guy, Marquis of Palombara, they all died the same day, they all died the same, the same moment, wow. really. Uh, they all died and they all uh, I mean <laughs> it's, it's incredible but <clears throat> they were all murdered probably by poison on the 28th of November 1660 oh. uh, at least the Marquis of Palombara uh, Benigni and Kitsch seem to have been murdered on the same day this is a mystery in itself that should be uh, maybe you know uh, uncovered further with an investigation by historians and, and so on yes but, right. uh, yeah now Brandon we're going to be moving on now there's someone who's been calling in okay I, so I, I appreciate no it doubt. Michael thank you, really, thank you all right, all right we will hopefully be in touch all right thanks. take care Brandon and there he goes great call and there was someone else calling in please go ahead and call back now that the line is open go ahead uh, 614 there. And Leo, I believe uh, another soul will join us in a moment here. I, they've been calling in. I believe that is uh, Sword Point 9 in the chat room. Uh, yes, go ahead and call in the number 760-332-8724. And there he is. Like clockwork. Let's bring in this gentleman here. Caller, you are live on the air. What's going on? Hey, Mike. Uh, this is Jeff. Kind go ahead. Of, yes, uh, go ahead. Calling in, call, calling in to talk with Leo. Go ahead. Um, yes. I, I, I think it's fascinating. He's brought up the point. I was stationed in Europe when the wall was still up, also, and, with the U.S. forces. And you touched on Gladio, but the, there were other Western countries that had operations, stay behind operations, very similar sure. to Gladio. Yes. And sure. also the other question I had 
while you were with, um, you touched on this lightly also. I just want a clarification because I've worked, I was an MP by trade, but I also did MI stuff in my lifetime. Uh, you touched lightly on how you were doing uh, basically intelligence work for the media, which over here in the U.S., you know this, we had Operation Mockingbird, which was CIA-funded, just like Gladio. And you're exactly right. The wall falling um, is exactly the problem why the West is experiencing at this moment this push towards communism. And I'd just like you to expand on those three areas because I found it fascinating. Another person actually agrees with my diagnosis of the problem. Well, you see, this is a diagnosis of the problem that can be understood mostly by people either in military intelligence or at least by people like you who had their feet on the ground during those days in which uh, during the Cold War, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization and the Central Intelligence Agency had uh, sponsored uh, a series of stay-behind networks in many European countries. Italy was central to this development because uh, the, the headquarters for the CIA in Europe was, at the time at least, uh, in Rome, uh, in Via Veneto, and, uh, and, and then, of course, Brussels was the second epicenter of the, of, for NATO and was the official epicenter for NATO, as you know. But uh, the, Rome was instead the center for the Central Intelligence Agency. And so there was... Uh, uh, here some work that was done uh, at one point in 1990 uh, by Giulio Andreotti when he started to unveil the existence of this Operation Gladio that was at least the main stay behind operation um, it was unveiled but like all these things that are unveiled they're always unveiled partially because you never really uh, unveil them totally for fear of what could happen uh, but definitely since then things started to change for the worse, get worse and worse and worse because uh, the, 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 the actual apparatus might have been negatively uh, influencing certain aspects especially when it came down to the strategy of tension well, we can say that in the 70s there was a whole show created in Europe uh, between uh, Soviet agents and the CA uh, for, for, for basically pushing forces uh, around and this was done uh, uh, with the certain terrorist groups uh, and, and of course uh, with the interest of these two countries in mind, uh, certain terrorist operations were just a cover-up operations for much more complex intelligence operations. Like for example, the key kidnapping uh, uh, of the Italian Prime Minister uh, or the, the, the fact that uh, um, there was, uh, uh, so we had with Aldo Moro the kidnapping of Aldo Moro. I don't know if you ever heard of uh, the kidnapping of Aldo Moro, but uh, it was, uh, Aldo Moro was a uh, uh, a prominent Italian statesman uh, and a prominent member of the Eastern Democratic Party who was trying uh, an accommodation with the communist leader Enrico Berlinguer in what, what was called the historic compromise. Now, this will have brought together for the first time those forces that in the years 
later will actually have merged together in much more than just osteopolitics, as they, as they call it, which is basically welcoming the forces of communism within the Western world, like it was done in, uh, in, in Germany, to then facilitate the union of the two Germanys. But in any case, he was kidnapped on the 16th of March 1978 by the Red Brigades officially, and after 55 days of captivity, he ended up dead. Well, I mean, we know that in reality the Red Brigades function only as the tool for the U.S. intelligence at, at that time, uh, guided by, I think it was Kissinger, who was in charge uh, of the whole show, the State Department, he basically uh, decided that Aldo Moro had to die because the, at, at that point in history, that kind of alliance was not judged as favorable. There couldn't be uh, this alliance with the communist world. It was feared, and it was actually right. They were right to, to fear this alliance, because the moment in which you unite the Catholic forces with the, the left wing, you, you form what the nightmare we have today with, with the Christian Democrats and left-wing forces together in Germany for a long time with a figure like Angela Merkel, who really demonstrates the hypocrisy of this whole uh, osteopolitics, which is basically uh, getting together these two forces that were fighting each other. One was uh, Christian democracy or Christianity and communism. These two forces are antithetic with each other. You can't unify them. The moment you, you put right. them together, the results are, uh, in the long term, dramatic. And you, 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 dramatic because, in the long term, socialism tends always to prevail. And then socialism, within socialism, the more communist factor comes to comes to light and 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 then we have uh, the EU of today which is basically uh, a nightmare to be synthetic about it no doubt I, I agree with you Leo here's the thing that you pointed out but I've said this a long time ago Michael's heard me expound on this ad infinitum but Markle Merkel was not just an FDJ person, she was an actual Stasi agent, and she's a fiction. You know, I'm saying he not, was a Soviet agent. Uh, for me, but, yeah, you know, yeah, if yeah. you're a Stasi agent, you're simply a Soviet agent. Uh, exactly. What people she, might she, not understand uh, now, because, you know, so many years have gone by, but Stasi was simply the secret police of, of, of Eastern Germany, and they were under the directors of, of the Kremlin. So the KGB oh, yeah, they, people like Putin grown up uh, in, in in Eastern Germany. Well, of course, they're all yes. allies with Angela Merkel, and we can see that today mm -hmm. in, the, in the famous uh, uh, what Trump is contesting, which is this gas. Uh, the conduct that they are trying to do from Germany, from Russia into Germany uh, to make Germany dependent energetically on Russia, which is a deal that is being worked out between Angela Merkel and, and Vladimir Putin because they are simply two, two agents of, of communism. I mean, people today, unfortunately, and that is what I try to explain also in my Right. Latest book, volume 6.66, when it comes down to communism, communism is Satanism. But a lot of people also think that Vladimir Putin is the hero of the world because he's defending Christianity and he's the best man on earth. Well, 
I have a lot of respect for, for Putin. I was able to meet him in person back in the days when I was working in Russia. I had a great relationship with the Russian Federation. But I'm honest, and people know me very well also in Russia, so they listen to what I say. I know that there is a compromise here, that, uh, you know, Putin is not just playing with the Christian card. He likes to play God. So on one side, he likes to play Christ, on the other one, the devil. So on one side, he's still, I mean, he's endorsing rightly the Orthodox Church revival and uh, resurgence after the dramatic years of communism, which really affected negatively Russia and the rest of the world. Is an evil ideology, evil ideology. Oh, and, and, I agree. But on I'm, the other side, was... Vladimir Putin is playing dirty games by still being a KGB agent no, in no. a way, even if now the KGB doesn't exist, the FSB, but <clears throat> he is playing uh, and manipulating the left-wing agents that were initiated in the West at the end of the 60s, people like the Clintons. People, these people here uh, the, the, that in the West gave themselves to left-wing ideology at the end of the 60s when there was uh, the, the whole, uh, you know, summer of love, flower power, and all that bullshit that took over <laughs> California, that yes. was right. Soviet-created and then uh, the CIA, of course, fought. They could manipulate certain elements of it. But in the end, you have to understand, the Russians know how to play chess, and they will always be one step forward. When it comes down to communism and Karl Marx, they are the ones who have implemented the most evil communist dictatorship. Of course, we have also China. But they were following what was done in the Soviet Union. So... Well, the scariest yes. thing to me when you think when we were talking about it, that's why I brought up Angela Merkel or Stasi connections. You remember Stasi used to call themselves Czechists, and you remember what the Czechists were? That was the forerunner to the KGB and, G, and GRU, and sure. by Le, uh, Leventry. But 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 the thing that I talk about, everybody forgets how Milke and um, Honecker actually allowed marriage between East and West Germany. And that really almost broke Germany financially and because it was so rushed. And well, I think that was another part of the, the consequences of a crisis in Europe at the moment is simply because Germany has become great economically at the expense of the rest yep. of Europe, the moment in which they had to pay back yep. the debts of Eastern Europe, of Eastern Germany, sorry, they actually paid them with the money coming from Italy and other countries. That's the thing here. Yep. That's the, the great injustice here. We are in front of yep. a country that has not paid the debts of war yet. They're Nazi yep. debts of wars, you got Nazis, yep. and they have not paid their debts of war. And at the same time, now they are expecting people like Greece or Italy or Southern Europe, they are, they are treating us like second-class citizens. I'm sorry to say, this is again the big problem. Every time we put together Germany... You're exactly right. I mean, it is exactly a big right. problem the because we knew that this will happen. I mean, my father, yeah. I remember it was 1989, uh, 1990, I think, that was done in Sicily. My father told me, you see, now the wall is coming down, but this is the beginning of the end. Because those yep. people on the other side of the wall will want the same things on this side of the wall. And that's not possible yep. at the moment for the world. We will not have the resources to do that. So what's going to happen next is very dangerous. 
and, uh, and, and some well, countries will take advantage of other countries. And of course, Germany was always feared by everyone. And my course, father always yeah. said that everybody in my family, my grandmother, who used to talk German and was a spider in the world, Felicity Mason, she, she brought me to Germany the first time in 1986. We went together on German national TV. She was very famous there in Germany. She, even her, she, at that time, 1986, Germany was still divided. And I could see the difference when I went just a few years later to work in Germany, in a united Germany. I arrived there the day before the Pope arrived, John Paul II in Berlin. Things changed forever. And at that point, when the Pope arrived in Berlin, I understood that something was going on. And this going on, I mean, this whole thing, guys, that was matured with Solidarność in Poland, and of course, John Paul II became the fitter for them bringing down the Soviet Union. But then, right. you see, people like John Paul II or Ratzinger were brought up in dictatorships. They would probably think that a deal with Chinese communists, uh, it's impossible because that's a dictatorship. But Pope Francis instead has implemented this. So the, the Vatican has gone a long way from fighting communism in, and now embracing it. So now, now it's clear to the world where we're going here, because those agents of the KGB, 9,000 agents that were sent um, just before, at the beginning of the Vatican Council, Second Vatican Council, and during and after well, we can say that basically from the 1950s onwards, the KGB infiltrated the, the Vatican. And, and, and this infiltration of the Vatican didn't lead to anything good, because those liberal forces, those communists, didn't have the good of Christianity or Catholicism at heart. They wanted right. the destruction of it. They were in bed with Satan, because communism is Satanism. So, so what happened is that now people like McCarrick, McCarrick was a KGB agent. Yeah. Yep. So, so uh, it's, it's, here's it's, the thing. You, it's it's, it's, you, it's you, the generation of Catholicism that was infiltrated by communism. I have much respect for Russia because they are a country that really knows how to play the game. And uh, I mean, I will always have a lot of respect for Russia. Oh, it yeah. doesn't mean they that punch. they make my interest. Uh, yeah, they're still playing know? the game. Right. Right, because interest, about I'm not way. interest of Russia because I'm not a Russian citizen, so they're not necessarily right. my interest. But I must say they play very well the game. The fact that they are able today to blame uh, Donald J. Trump for Russian collusion, when in reality <laughs> the Russian collusion is Obama, Clinton, yep. Kennedy, yep. these people are all Russian collusion. They're all criminals that should be locked up for treason. I agree. So, and 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 the entire EU experiment that was created by the Germans during, during the Second World War, but it's implemented now. And you're exactly right. The extortion of all of the you Western see, you nations. You see, the thing is the EU. The is EU exactly was fine and it was EU. great until the U.S. and the CIA and the state behind operations yeah. kept the EU. Uh, I mean, it was the early stages because, you know, uh, by the time this whole uh, Soviet Union and this whole Cold War operation ended, then that was the implementation of the last phase of the European Union, the one in which you will have to exactly. embrace the EU states that came from the East. And that was another and now downfall for the EU. 
because and we have raised all the debts of these EU Eastern states uh, like Romania. We gave them, and we give them still today, a lot more money than we give Italy or Spain or France or yep. anything. We have endorsed a policy of embracing and more and more Eastern Europe because NATO wanted to expand. NATO wanted and to expand Ukraine. But like I and was talking with an expert from the MI6 uh, um, five years ago, I think, about the situation in Ukraine, and I said, this is the most unjust decision that you can make, going into Russian territory. I mean, Ukraine is Russia. You can say whatever you want, but historically it was Russian territory owned by the Tsar. Yep. Then the communists exactly. arrived and they made whatever they made. But guys... It's, it's, it doesn't work this way. NATO doesn't have, right. a, doesn't have to be in Ukraine. And what they're doing in Ukraine is okay. wrong. So I don't agree with, I agree. Doing, uh, with alterating the equilibrium by expanding NATO uh, into Eastern Europe. Because the results are what we have today. Russia is, of course, angry, is acting in defense and, of course, using their agents. And their agents are the agents that are now in Europe. Europe are the ones in control of the EU because the moment in which the Soviet Union and, and uh, USA stopped fighting about the Cold War and the Soviet Union was dismantled, the EU uh, agents of Russia at that point could continue taking control of the EU apparatus because you have to understand that the Soviet school or the communist school is all about bureaucracy. And the EU right. is a bureaucratic nightmare out of a Norwegian uh, yep. scene, but definitely it's typical of the Soviet Union, the way EU is, uh, is, is, is working. It doesn't have anything to no. do with modernity or with democracy. It's all about unelected no. officials who control between Strasbourg and Brussels and then we don't know why they should even have something in Strasbourg, because why don't they have only Brussels? It's just wrong. Yeah. The whole thing is wrong. It was originally implemented by the U.S. and the black yeah. aristocracy and the elements of the Nazis at the club Bilderberg yeah. to unify Europe. But yes, the, but here's the reason. The reason here's the thing that was, I, here's, here's, no, listen, here's the, the reason was anti-communism to establish Europe. Right. You can't have right. what you're having now, because without the communist enemy, you can't unite the forces against this aggression. And so they are invaded, is, and they are basically doing the work of the enemy without even knowing it. This is the point that you were making, and I was trying to get around to it, and just very quickly, but you understand what I mean. Europeans are a hardy lot. I am of Italian and Germanic ancestry, okay? The thing I do understand about Europeans is this forced immigration, it's being done on purpose, and it's being done in Europe and in America. The reason for that, and, you can, and I'd love your two cents on this, but the reason for that is they are importing a pliable peoples, people that have an average IQ of 76, 78. That's what they're trying to do, get the morons in to maintain power of the bureaucracy, because you and I nailed this together, and so is every American and every European right now, and that's become problematic. That's why they're trying to throw so many people that are ignorant into our nation. Yeah? 
Yeah, well, I mean, the reason here is, uh, is, is very complex. It goes also to do with the ethnicity of the European people, you see, because on the contrary of America and Europe, you have an ethnicity that goes back thousands of years for each country. Now, the moment in which you want to implement globalization on a massive scale, you want to destroy the ethnicity of certain people who are proud of their ethnicity and proud of their nationalism. By, by forcing into Europe millions of Muslim immigrants in what used to be the, 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 the home for Western Christianity. I mean, you, you are talking about Europe, uh, you're talking about the sacred Roman Empire, you're talking about the Roman Empire, they embraced Christianity and fought the Muslims until the last breath. They, I mean, my yeah. ancestors were in Malta, were in Sicily fighting the Muslims to defend what became Christian Europe. Now, uh, yep. the fact that they have also sent, uh, for example, Syrian Muslims to Germany because they can be used better by Germany, or in Italy they are sending people from North Africa that basically come from 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 Nigeria, so from Africa, but they, they are uh, coming in from Libya or Tunisia, uh, and so they are also with a lower. Uh, some say a lower IQ, lower preparation skills, at least uh, uh, for Italy. Uh, then in Germany, where you get the Syrians, that's also some symptomatic of what the Germans are, are doing. Uh, this is a, definitely something that is being studying, studied in detail. But it is it is very demonic what they're doing. It's very demonic. It's it's demonic it because it's it's once again Germany unified is a threat for the world. It's a threat for the world because now with the EU army they're gonna be putting in place. This becomes basically a, a EU dictatorship in which no country will be allowed to get out. Uh, the UK knew this very well and is yeah. trying to get out. We don't know if they will manage because the EU is not giving them an, e an easy exit as we are seeing with Brexit. Right. So, so this is a real nightmare that can, uh, in the end, I think it will only be solved with a new war with the new war across Europe that, of course, will destabilize the world. And at that point, yep. the Russians or the Americans will be called in for this mess. I know already that the Russians, the, the point of view of the Russians that they confessed me years ago in Moscow on this, they said, when it's going to end up that way, this time we're not going to come into free from the, like before when we came in and we, you know, the First World War, actually brought us the revolution in the end because it was such a crisis after the first world war russia had to intervene in defense of europe and the same happened in the second world war it was russians who freed berlin let's not forget right. from the nazis and they didn't get anything really out of it they said in the end because then the soviet union in the end fall down uh, eastern germany fall down so said we want to get something out of the third time we get involved and that would be occupation so we are talking about a different Russia this time that is facing us. It's a Russia that wants to occupy and military reside in those territories once they occupy it. It's not going to be like before, where they might just leave uh, uh, some kind of puppet state with some kind of figure uh, that uh, is, uh, you know, the usual uh, dictator that works for the, uh, the Russian. No, no. They want to occupy 
and, and, and stay there at that point. The same might be said for the Americans if they don't wake up. The problem I fear with America at the moment is my own uh, main impression here, from Europe at least, is that because America has stopped investing in anti-communism, in, anti, in, 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 in protecting Europe, and the stability of Europe. And the fact that they are letting in all these Muslims in, which equates to a future turmoil happening, which we, yeah. with the results that are very uncertain, but they want to expand. Islam wants to simply expand. Islam wanted to expand themselves a thousand years ago to Europe, but they want to expand themselves now. And the method in the end will yeah. be the same, because they will establish Sharia law areas, they will take over, uh, they have already taken over part of the biggest cities in Europe. And, uh, and I think we need to, 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 to really fear the, the, the situation. And Americans and American authorities and the U.S. president should really bring back stability. What does it mean, bring back stability to Europe nowadays? Well, it means investing in everything that is not being done today. We don't have the possibility of free speech in Europe anymore. We don't have any, you know, they, they used to be, you remember back in the days, there used to be always Voice of America and medium wave transmitting, you know, the, the, the freedom of, of, of America through the radio waves. Now, right. here in, in Europe, in countries like Italy, a person like me is censored on the radio, on the TV. He can't talk, uh, he's threatened even if I, I get threatened even if I make a post in Italian on my Facebook. Wow. Yeah, that's I had the, the, the police coming the other day to, 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 to my door. It's happening globally. It's happening globally. Stay, I mean, you know, post had been done last year and that there had been an investigation, and I didn't even know about it. Yeah. For a post on Facebook, no, it, it, and I wasn't even allowed to know what which was the post, for example. So, yeah, that, yeah in a very different situation global. from how we were before. But I think that I think that we are um, about to experience a more negative result of all the, of all the situation if there is not an intervention from America, it, which uh, it's an actual. It's it's an actual end of days scenario. I don't don't mean to go out on that note, brothers, but it's been a joy talking to you, with you, Leo. Would love to have a chat with you longer. Absolutely. Time, I mean, I if, we, if you want to talk about the end of this scenario, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it all goes together with the fact that you know that you know in the end of days you have this. Uh, this, 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 this united Europe that will fall apart, this empire that is uh, it's like being prophesied in a way, you know? So it's, it's, it's all part of the scriptures. It definitely seems that way, and thanks for the call there. And uh, Leo, I, I do want to thank you tremendously for being on the program. We're almost done here. I don't mean to yes. hold you any longer. But yeah, thank you so much. Yes, lots of interesting stuff going on with the EU and also, I read that the EU will soon require Americans to register before traveling. Uh, yeah, the beginning uh, 2021. From, from 2021, uh, the, the U.S. Uh, citizens coming to Europe will be required to have a visa. Correct. Uh, to make a visa. Uh, this is uh, unheard of, uh, but unfortunately, no deal was made between. Uh, 
2016 and 2018 on this uh, subject and so in the end uh, I think that uh, like uh, me doing a visa to come to the US uh, you will have to be forced to do a visa to come into into Europe even if lately some countries like Italy didn't have the same requirements uh, not uh, the, the problem was apparently with the Eastern European countries that uh, the U.S. didn't want to accept uh, these countries uh, uh, and so forced the, and the EU, uh, which of course we have talked about it since uh, <laughs> for the last half an yes. hour, has been taken over by a bunch of Soviet spies uh, to, 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 to do this implementation of this visa in 2021 for the American citizens. Really interesting stuff. And going back really quickly to the Pope and the Vatican and all and all the wrongdoings they have done. Uh, my question to you, Leo, is can you forgive them? As a man, you can always forgive another person, as a, as a man, as a Christian. No? As a Christian, you should be forgiving. But I don't think that this forgiveness uh, uh, I mean, can be um, can be always uh, uh, effective, and in the end, uh, some action needs to be taken. So, I mean, yes, you can forgive people, but the, the way the Vatican works this forgiveness out is always in their favor, meaning that in the end, they always get out of the worst crimes and everything with this thing of forgiveness, forgiveness. You know, yeah. they did this last month when it, we were talking about it in the summit on child abuse. You yes. know, the, the Pope said we have to forgive everybody. Well, but uh, you also have to punish people that do tremendous acts. Yes. And you have to be very harsh in the way you punish them. Otherwise, you get the situation out of control. Indeed. So I think that uh, they, they should be... Um, I know that it might seem like, you know, uh, impractical or even stuff from the from a medieval time. But I think that actually the Catholic Church at the moment needs a new inquisition if they want to get their act together. I agree. And of course, you were referring to when Pope Francis uh, made that speech about an all-out battle against the sexual abuse of minors and uh, well to to be honest with you that whole summit i think that was sort of something like a sort of like a damage control by by the the vatican here to sort of i guess make right and of course you said for them to forgive uh, but personally i'm not a christian but i do believe in forgiveness forgiveness is very strong in my heart however i cannot forgive those men for abusing their power not when you're at that level of power and, and you're abusing your, like, no, like I, I said. I think that mm -hmm. in the end, these people uh, are also protecting themselves with the protection of a sovereign state. And so for that reason, I think that these people will have to be punished. They're going to have to. Their sovereign state status should be abolished because uh, they are all a bunch of criminals. This is becoming ridiculous. It I mean, is. They are a, a pedophile sect, which, uh, of course, has a immunity status thanks to the sovereignty of the Vatican State. I mean, come on. We need to, to, to do something about this. It's not possible to tolerate this any longer. Indeed, and that also brings me to uh, those pastors out here in California who own multiple homes and finesse their own flock. It's maddening to see a lot of these individuals rise to this sort of power 
and profit off of others' ignorances, really. And I always say this, it's not against no, the law. That, that is one of the points that I want to make sure is, it's clear here. I mean, yes. Leo Zagami doesn't have a specific interest with any church or ministries, but right. uh, I'm still available. Uh, and I think uh, for those like-minded churches and ministries that will have the courage to have me uh, speak uh, and, and appear uh, when uh, I'm going to be doing these uh, conferences and meetings and this book tour over the U.S. in the month of June and July. I, I, I'm not sure if any of them really sincerely will have the courage to do that, but I hope they will, because, I mean, the truth should set you free. The truth should, I mean, this is this is the gospel. I mean, the truth should set all of us free. No? So, and, 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 and so I, I think that we really need to... to to indulge in, in, into acts of goodness with each other, but also in openly saying, you know, this is the truth and you shouldn't be scared of it because uh, it's, it's true. We want, all, we want a world around us that is made of good things, but also we want a world of reality, not of illusion, because this illusion in the long run will always bring us some negative results. Even if uh, in the exterior, so, you know, we all seem nice and good. People were saying to me, oh, but it's so nice up in Norway. It's a nice country. No, Norway, like the rest of Scandinavia, is a socialist nightmare. People are suiciding themselves. It's full of Satanists. Hillary Clinton went there and spent a few couple of days. <laughs> the last couple of days there. Yeah, Norway. Was, there's a in, in Norway. There's a lot of uh, black metal bands out there. And, yeah, and, and I mean, recently I was seeing, you know, this back, uh, whatever his name is, Burzum, how he calls himself now, uh, this uh, one of the people who was uh, basically involved with the murders, uh, um, this band. Uh, oh, Mayhem. Was one of the most yeah. important bands. Uh, and he was back biggerness who was this guy who, who oh. is this guy who yeah varg he was a burning churches out there of course for the band mayhem and there is a video lately that he has published in which he's trying to justify this whole thing as not being satanic he said oh uh, if you go and see it, I mean, I got really pissed off just watching this video because oh first of all, he's not being honest about the the elements, uh, uh, the occult elements that were behind the re rise of Satanism in the uh, early 90s, late 80s in uh, Norway that yeah. were connected with the Ordo Tempi Orientis, with a guy called Simon Midgard in Oslo, with the lodge, specific lodges in the Otilo, one in Bergen and one in Oslo. Um, it's pretty wild that all that was actually going on. That's what's uh, perturbing. No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really angry that, the, 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 that this uh, back bigerness uh, who is now, I think, living in France or whatever. Yeah, he's still around. Uh, he, he was known as Count Krishnak, you know, something like that, where he was... Uh, and he, he, he not only burned some churches, but he also killed he somebody. Killed people, he right. killed a guy called uh, Estin Arce, who was, who was known as Hieronymus, the, the guitarist of the band Maine. Hieronymus, yes. And, uh, and if you see this video, he's basically trying to justify the fact that uh, they were not really Satanists and that this whole thing should have just been perceived as an act of rebellion towards society. Yes, and that even the ones who were saying they were Satanists, they were not really Satanists. 
why is that, dear Vark? I mean, why I'm about to make a video in the next few days in which I'm going to attack Vark weakness and I'm going to show the evidence that I have that totally shows the lies he's been saying in this video that I saw. Yes. Because, I mean, justifying Satanism is just in itself wrong. But also, I understand why he's trying to justify. Because now, a lot of his... I saw the comments that, that on his video. It was like, the real Satanists are in the Federal Reserve, or the real Satanists are here. Yes, the real Satanists might also be there. But the real Satanists are also the ones that in popular culture and in music, for example... Implemented Satanism like he did. And if you implement Satanism, even if you don't believe or act like a real Satanist, you are a Satanist. Because the moment in which you start playing with Satanism, even if you don't believe in it, you are a Satanist. I'm sorry to say. Yes, and you're talking about the uh, film. Yeah, you're talking about the film Lords of Chaos, which was released this year. Um, I'm not quite sure if most people out there are, are familiar with it. Uh, well, I, I don't know about the film because I think the film is based on a book, which is also written. But by the way, I think you, you're talking about that Lords of Chaos, which is based on a book also. Yes. Mm -hmm. it, now I'm talking about a specific video that he made ah, from okay. his car. And, in which he talks about the fact, uh, I don't know if that video is also part of the actual, of, of a documentary or whatever, but I found it on, uh, a friend of mine from Norway sent it to me, and I found it very revealing that this guy is trying to, in some way, justify his stand as a Satanist and saying that uh, there were no true Satanists in Norway. Oh yes, there were no true Satanists in Norway. You were all good Christians <laughs> bending churches and killing each other. Fantastic. Yes, and and moving on here before we wrap up things. On a side note, I did want to quickly ask you about Michael Jackson, really quickly here, and all the things that are coming out about him. Where exactly do you lie with that? Like I said in the past, Michael Jackson uh, unfortunately was a victim of uh, of this business that people think might, might be at times innocent or at times. You know, just made of people who want to have fun. But the music business is a ruthless business. Very, very ruthless. And, and he was in it from a very early age. My grandfather wrote a book, Memories of a Castrato, which was based on the memories of a singer. That in the old days, opera singers were castrated so they can have their voices for doing those falsettos. You remember? Yeah. The, the, mm -hmm. and, and Michael Jackson never changed his voice. He was probably the victim and then became the abuser. I think that's possi possibly true. That's probably how it really did start out for him. But at the same time, he was also the victim. And the victim not only of himself and of his actions, but also of the people around him that were uh, wanting to uh, take advantage of this whole scenario. And, and 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 we know about that doctor who uh, gave him those, uh, you know, and, and that oh, doctor was part of a yeah. Masonic obedience, which was irregular. He was given the a title of grand official, medi medical official, which doesn't even exist in Freemasonry. And he was also involved in the murder, uh, well, in the murder or death of, of another artist, which the artist formerly known as Prince. Uh, for the same kind of, you know, same kind of uh, medicines were used in that way. I mean, uh, it seems like this is a reoccurring theme when it comes to the music business uh, and with, uh, with the dramatic situations of these artists who find themselves uh, dying uh, 
of abuse of this of this uh, yeah. this medic uh, different medication and drugs. But, I mean, they are yeah. being medicated because they are part of a system which is sick in itself. You know, I agree one hundred percent, and that of course brings me to the twenty twenty election. Uh, I'm curious who you think could actually topple Donald Trump. Uh, I looked. At different candidates, ah, really. I think it's going to come on, guys. I mean, they're all low energy anyway. <laughs> the democratic field is made out of a bunch of people who their only thing is to just criticize Trump. They don't, I mean, even if they don't criticize Trump, then they want to be crazy socialists. And, I mean, America is not the Soviet Union. Transform the Democratic Party in the Democratic Socialist Party is the most dumb idea if you want to ever win the 2020 elections. I mean, it's the dumbest idea, the most dumbest I have ever witnessed. In my time as political comment, or even as being directly involved with politics, I never saw a party that wants to destroy itself as much as the Democratic Party, both in the U.S. and in Italy. In Italy, they destroy themselves so much that this, the party in the last five years has become nothing compared to how it was. No, I agree. And one, one weird thing about uh, the Democratic Party stepping up here um bernie sanders i'm not quite sure what i think he's going to be running as a democrat uh strangely enough joe biden is actually leading him by, by the thing is that, it seems, listen from the democratic party insane it seems everybody wants to run for this uh, president i mean uh, it's it's uh, the job biden and then you have one day bernie sanders and then you have hillary clinton says i'm waiting for the end of the Mueller investigation uh, you know to take a decision now i mean but officially <laughs> says she's not going to participate because of course she knows she's going to lose uh, if, if if trump is still there she's going to lose the only way she can win is if trump gets impeached by any reason by this judiciary system which is corrupt but otherwise they don't, they don't stand a chance they don't stand a chance so how they can stand the chance? Well, they only stand the chance if they get the judiciary to actually get rid of Trump. That's it. Which is, which means, in turn, probably civil war. Because at that point, I think a few people get really pissed off in the U.S. I agree 100%. And that also reminds me of something that I meant to bring up to you earlier when we were talking about uh, the Vatican. There is a French writer by the name of Frederick Martel who spent uh, plenty of years researching in, I guess you could say, in the closet of the Vatican, and he has a book called In the Closet of the Vatican, Power, Homosexuality, Hypocrisy. I'm not quite sure if you're familiar with this man. But I mean, sure, I'm familiar with the book, but I don't think if I, I find any of his research or his uh, assumptions new, because there are things that sure. I've been saying for years. Yeah. In fact, actually, lately, after uh, after I was asked about it on Infowars uh, during my one of my reports from the Vatican, I thought about it a bit more the day after, and I said, Jeez, man, this is the same exact percentage I gave one year ago to Alex uh, on a show, I think it was May of last year. When he asked me how much how much is the percentage of gay people in the world, I said eighty percent, and of which that twenty probably thirty are pedophiles. But they then uh, blackmail the rest of the, the homosexual brigade in, in the Catholic Church. I mean, these are not things that are new. Yeah, these are things new. I've been yeah. saying for years, since two thousand and six, since I 
And now people, because one guy says them in a book, well, I said it in, the, in a book five years prior to that. That's if you true. just go and read Pope Francis' last Pope question mark, you get the same answers. Indeed. So it's, it's, it's people, you know, the thing is, like uh, uh, Owen Schroyer said the other day on Infowars, it's about time that people understand that when Leo Zagami is saying something about the Vatican, it's not a conspiracy theory. I agree 100%. And before we finally put this to an end here, I'm curious, Leo, what kind of music do you listen to now? <laughs> that was the kind of music I listened to. Well, no, I mean, I always like uh, my old uh, collection uh, that uh, is quite varied, and, and you know, from early house to electronic to okay. uh, funky music to uh, experimental to uh, things that are, you know, of psychedelic nature. I'm, uh, my style is cosmic. It's very uh, open to... Um, mixing different things that usually you don't, uh, you know, like I like to maybe mix a new wave track with a funk track and okay. a psychedelic and a soul track. It's, it's a bit like Prince. He was an okay. innovative artist who was integrating certain styles, no? I've always been uh, um, myself uh, trying to uh, be an innovator. At the end of the 80s, I promoted for the first time uh, what, what became known as techno music. Then right. I became involved in promoting what became really and, and house house music right in the early then 90s. in 1994 95 i promoted the, the, in the in the new funk scene in london people like dj harvey i, I met with daft punk i promoted that's why serious, i promoted an alternative scene to the, the established house scene we wanted to merge elements from acoustic music with it and and make it more wild and and, and also opening to the fact that in a club we can play music of all the styles but it has to be uh, music that for me is not commercial it's not ah, uh, yes. obvious it has to be generally music which i regard as being uh, uh, of quality so i, I agree, mean music yes. can be of quality if it's of, of i mean I, I i i still like to listen from time to time also classical music uh, that's always good and no r kelly for you right no, R. Kelly. <laughs> no, R. Kelly for, I, mean, I, I think that uh, his uh, latest episode uh, was quite oh, childish in a way. I understand that he must be pretty frustrated, but yeah. we know that these people have lived uh, a luxury life in which everything was permitted until yesterday. And uh, of course, things are changing now. Uh, the problem seems to me that way too often, like in the case of R. Kelly, we are trying yeah. to find one scapegoat that can then become the the main, uh, you know, focus of the pe uh, people's attention. But there is many R. Kellys in the music world. Many. Oh yes, before him there was Chuck Berry, who was urinating on women back in back in the early days. My God. Listen, man. If we had to, if we have to go through all the music business people, oh. uh, not I don't think I think eighty percent of I them. So. Like it's eighty percent of oh, the Catholic yeah. Church priests are homosexual. Well, eighty percent of the people in Hollywood are sick motherfuckers. No, I agree, one hundred percent. So, Leo, I do want to thank you tremendously for being here tonight. Another classic episode with you. I again always get. High praises whenever you are on the program. People just love having you on here. Like uh, Jim Fetzer, you are another guest that remains in the most demanded by all the guests here on the program. 
<laughs> I'm glad to hear that, and I'm glad that we could briefly talk also about my upcoming book tour. If anybody's interested, please write at orderluminatoruniversalis at gmail.com for any information if you want to organize it locally, if you want to help somehow, help is appreciated. I'm trying to do this on my own. I don't have any big organization, the CA or the Martians behind me. I'm just trying to bring you the experiences which I have put through in my books and to be able to meet with my readers in the US in the near future, that would be great, as well as also promoting my latest book that you have mentioned earlier on, which is volume 6.66, which is a book that brings this new topic to the, to the equation, a topic of cyber Satan against legion, ready to enslave humanity using technology. So, artificial intelligence and robotics, but also exorcism uh, as a tool of, uh, of fi for, for fighting these demonic forces. So read all about it in my latest book. Yes, thank you so much for being here. Always a great conversation with you, packed with information. We will definitely have to do it again in, in the very near future, Leo. And definitely we will, well, I will push uh, your book and when you get that tour going, I'll definitely do my best to get that message out there. Thank you so much, Michael. I appreciate what you're doing and hope uh, to speak to you soon. And hello to all your listeners. No doubt. Thank you, Leo. We'll talk again, my friend. Bye. All thanks. Right. Good night. Take care. Good night. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That was Leo Zagami, a great, great guest. And as you can imagine, it is that time to wrap up. But before we take it home tonight here, I definitely want to thank the international listeners out there. Again, Germany, the UK, Spain, and Brazil, and Canada. Great, great people out there. Really changed my worldview on, on so, many, so many issues, really. So many great international listeners out there. I could, I wish I could read a lot of those emails to you, but some of them are just so personal. It, it just really blows my mind, folks. And I would love to thank all of you out there in the chat room. Amazing. So glad all of you checked in here tonight. It was a pretty goddamn good time. I'd like to thank Deprogrammed Radio and coming right up, as well as the Fringe FM. And of course, all of you lovely folks who will listen to this on a replay. You can find the program every Saturday night at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That's 10 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm Michael Deacon. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place. And life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody.